Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the show. This is As Lutheran As It Gets. I am your co-host, Pastor Don Riley, the techno-viking, joined as always by Pastor Christopher Gillespie, the predator. And uh, also, if I were a meteorologist, I'd tell you it's raining. Rainy day. It is. Rainy day woman. It's number, what, 46 or something? Something like that. I love, I love that song. <laughs> uh, yeah. no, we have thunderstorms here. No, oh, wonderful. Yeah, but I'm on battery backup, so we should be good. <laughs> there we go. We'll edit that out and post if anything drops in or out during the storm. Yeah. Unless you're struck by lightning or your house is struck by lightning. We'll leave that in because that's just good podcasting. Yeah, and also thunder noise. I mean, that. There we go. I like that. Set the mood. I like right. that. Exactly. Little, little writers on the storm in the background. <laughs> yeah, that's right. So today on the podcast, we are going to go back into Albrecht Peter's commentary on Luther's catechisms. This time we are in baptism and Lord's Supper. Apparently, uh, he was allergic to definite articles. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> it's just Ten Commandments, Creed, Lord's Prayer, Baptism, and Lord's Supper. Not the Lord's Supper, just Lord's Supper. Yeah. This series has been pretty popular, actually. Quite a few folks have been listening, so... Oh, good. Well, thank you to all of you for listening to this. And I hope that you go out and buy these books because what we're reading today, we were talking about this before we mm-hmm. uh, got on air, is the first 70 pages of Peters's book on baptism and Lord's Supper is just his explanation or examination of Luther's sacramental witness, meaning he's just laying out for you Luther's sacramental theology before he dives into baptism and Lord's Supper. And just the first 70 pages of this book, as I was saying off air, is I think this is worth 12 weeks of a seminary curriculum just to read the first 70 pages of this book, to really come out of seminary saying, this is Lutheran sacramental theology in a nutshell. And this is stuff that you can actually give to members of the congregation. You can give this to laity, and they can easily read this and understand it. I think so. I mean, it's it's pretty dense still, but... Uh, if you ignore the footnotes, maybe that'll help you get through it a little bit. Well, they're all in German, so there's that. But <laughs> that's true. I was just thinking too, is like this would actually be a fun study to go with through with a congregation. Like you were saying, if if you're not really comfortable reading it by yourself or giving it, you know, to read without saying, oh, it is kind of dense. This is actually 70 pages. That's a wonderful study that you could sit down and, and dive into. Yeah. Yeah, maybe with your with elders or adult Bible class or something like that. Oh, yeah, especially with elders. That would be fantastic. Yeah. Altar Guild, whatever. And the thing is, too, of all the volumes, this is my favorite. I love this volume. It's thin. It's probably as short as the Lord's Prayer volume or near to it, but it's, what, 220-some pages? Yeah, 222, 223 pages. Yeah. So it's a brief read. It's broken up into three sections, Introduction to a Sacramental Theology, Baptism, then the Lord's Supper. And he kind of rolls the keys in here, too, as he goes without really giving it like a, a whole section to itself, which I think is in the next volume. But it's probably because uh, Luther is so clear in his sacramental understanding. And, and certainly, right. I mean, it's an emphasis in his theology in a way mm-hmm. uh, that we maybe don't see quite as much in the other reformers. Well, again, as we were talking about off air, is that what you see with Luther early on in the Psalms lectures, 1513, those early Psalms lectures, and then even up through uh, his sermons in 1519, what happened was Luther was so influenced growing up by the German mystics or the Rhineland mystics, as they were sometimes called, that he embraced a lot of the the general principles that were taught by mystics like um, Tauler mm-hmm. and Meister Eckhart and others. And some things like the using the vernacular and the, for the divine service, emphasis on the congregation and the pastor versus 
the papacy or the kind of the institutional church, emphasis on the sacraments, regular reception of the sacraments. Those are things that Luther carried forward with him throughout his, his career and his ministry. However, what ended up happening is that Luther got attacked by one of his colleagues at the time, Andreas Karlstadt. Mm-hmm. And it re- and Karlstadt used Luther's own teachings, much in the same way that the Pelagians attacked Augustine with his earlier teachings. Karlstadt attacked Luther with a lot of his stuff from the early Psalms lectures. And it really forced Luther to take a step back and reflect on what he was really talking about in relation to something like the sacraments. Right. And it really pushed him then further into the the otherness of Jesus, the otherness of the sacraments, that it's not something that's happening inside of us. It's not a spiritual eating and drinking, but rather it, he moves more and more for Luther to an actual bodily eating and drinking of the object of our faith, who is Jesus, who is present in a very concrete and real way right. in words, water, bread, and wine. And so you see this move from a more mystical, spiritual understanding of the faith to a more concrete, incarnational, I'm here with my sin and my resistance, and Jesus is over there with his righteousness and his forgiveness. And I wonder if that isn't uh, in part the reason why Luther's emphasis, as you said, is more on Christ and less on the communal aspect of it, the community part yeah. of it. Um, right. You know, so so in Luther's own language, he will he will refer to the sacrament of the altar as as, as that or the Lord's Supper, yeah. and, and right. less Holy Communion, which is kind of our more mm-hmm. popular term, I think, mm-hmm. at least in my experience. You know, and that communion well, actually, not being communion with Christ, but communion with one another, right? Right, and I think actually in this volume, Peter's talks about Luther's criticism of other terms other than Lord's Supper. He wasn't. He wasn't really a big fan of Eucharist. He wasn't a fan of communion. He wasn't necessarily a fan even of the Mass. Mm. But that the Lord's Supper placed all the emphasis on who's doing something for us. Much like with the divine service. We're talking confirmation. I said the divine service, who's serving who? Right. (laughs) And depending on who's serving who, it changes the entire direction of, and the entire intent then, and and motivation and purpose for worship. Yeah, subject-object relationship. Right. It makes all the difference. Mm -hmm. So for Luther, more and more, it becomes about the for you-ness and of imputed, we would call imputed righteousness or imputed grace rather than infused righteousness or infused grace in the sense of like, there's something happening inside of us that's changing us from the inside out versus something that's happening outside of us. That is, it's basically saying, you know, the way that we perceive Jesus versus the reality of Jesus mm. and and the for you-ness of like the Lord's Supper then is, this is the reality of who Jesus will be for you. This is his supper. This is how he gives himself to you in the way of gift versus, well, this is how we perceive the supper and this is how we perceive Jesus is present in the supper for us. But it's really an internal thing that's happening mm. inside each Christian versus something that's happening over there on the altar regardless of whether you're ready for this or not, believe it or not, are righteous or not, all these things that you that used to take place internally right. and were a movement of grace in the Roman Catholic Church or a movement of the Spirit in the Protestant Church, Luther would say, no, it's all outside of you. It's extra nos. It's outside of us, but it's for you in the giving of it. Maybe more um, in terms of you know the father who loves his child. And the child says, right. um, you know, whatever you will give me, I know is going to be good for me. Right, right. Because you're your father. That doesn't mean we always understand that right. in the moment, like the whole bit about like not putting your hand underneath the hot pan. Right. Uh, but it is in the giving. <laughs> to your point, that is the point. That in the givingness of the gifts, it is a it isn't a subject object relation. Mm-hmm. Not everything's happening inside of me. And so, to to give an example, then if everything's happening inside of me, I don't actually have to eat and drink the body and blood of Jesus. I just have to believe it. Yeah. 
Yeah. So, for example, it's not our faith, our faith, which is yeah. an issue right there. But uh, it's right. not our faith that makes the sacrament what it is, but rather the words, right. the faithfulness, right. of the of the promisor. Right. He says, right. "This like, is my body," and right, that's exactly. Enough. Right. And this is why Luther talks about this at the very beginning of. Uh, his explanation of the sacrament in the Lord in the large catechism mm -hmm. where he can say if your priest is a scumbag jerk criminal even an atheist and even if everybody in church isn't a believer blah blah, blah the word of God is still true and it's not invalidated by our belief or unbelief or the immorality morality of the pastor it's validated by the very promise of God himself and that's why Luther says even a scoundrel can can serve the sacrament at the altar that doesn't negate the fact that the sacrament is the body and blood of jesus yeah. nor does it negate it if the person receiving it doesn't actually believe this is true yeah and that isn't to say it, that the that the individual the character the faith of the of the one who's administering it doesn't matter but it only really matters no, in a creaturely way not in terms right, of exactly what we from god right exactly mm -hmm. right that's a very good distinction vertically versus horizontally mm -hmm. yeah and so Diving in then, we're going to start on page 46 and kind of dive in mid-thought, but you'll, it'll come quick. You'll, you'll figure it out quick. Um, and then we'll kind of roll with this, this thought that we were just talking mm -hmm. about. So Peter says, by contrast with the Roman Catholic doctrine that teaches about a representation of Christ's offering before God in the sacrificial service of the church, there it is in a nutshell, all such interpretations by Luther stay closely aligned to the foundational order, promise, faith. So from the very from off the bat, then the Roman Catholic teaching on the mass is the priest is re-sacrificing Jesus every time he says the words, yeah. and it is a representation in the present tense of Jesus's historic offering in a sacrificial way. So we're literally in the Roman Catholic teaching, we are literally re-sacrificing Jesus every time we celebrate the mass, which is kind of a hard thing to get your head around. Right, it's called transtemporal sacrifice. That is, it's it's changing time. It's folding time, basically. It's a it's a tesseract. We can use that for <laughs> right. a trivia pursuit. There you go. Save that answer. But essentially, the mass sacrifice is the mass sacrifice in Roman Catholicism because it is literally a sacrifice. We they the masses they are, are sacrificing. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It is a literally a mass sacrifice. Here's Jesus all together, Father. Right. Right, exactly. Have mercy on us because here we're going to re-sacrifice him. Which, for those of you who don't know, actually comes out of the Roman, um, the Roman mystic uh, cult, the cult, mystic cults. What am I trying to say there? Yeah. Roman mystery cults. There's the word mystery, not mystic. Mystery, sorry. Two M-Y words. It comes out of Roman mystery cults. It's paganism. And the fancy term for that is mimesis and anamnesis. Uh -huh. And mimesis in pagan practice is I have to recreate that event in the present tense, otherwise the gods won't pay attention to me. Mm. And so I have to repeat the sacrifice of the hero. I have to repeat the sacrifice of the of the elder or the priest that really kicked all this off back there in the in the past. And I've got to do it in the present tense. That's the mimetic thing. And then the anamnesis again is just representing and re-sacrificing in the present tense to get the gods' attention so they'll give us what we want. Right. And that uh I think the the part of the justification for that kind of idea is in the word in remembrance of me, right? Exactly. Or my yeah, remembrance. Mimesis. Yeah, mimesis. Yeah, so they're picking up with it from that language and saying, oh, that's just like the mystery cult. Yeah. yeah. Which, by the way, modern Protestants who hang their hat on the remembrance part of that, this is why the theology of Protestants is very similar to the theology of Roman Catholics when it comes to the sacrament, because it's both, it's mimetic on both sides of the aisle. Mm. It's just how the sacrifice takes place. Mm. This is why um, uh, Seder meals are so popular. 
Oh, right. That would be a part of that. That's the part of that mimetic tradition. That is, we have to represent, we have to redo the supper in this way so that, and you can call it whatever you want, but that's what you're doing. You're part of that mimetic tradition, even if it's not an actual sacrifice. And this is even why, if the Seder meal doesn't even represent the Lord's Supper. Right. Well, I was going to say, even <laughs> though Jesus himself says this is a new testament in my blood, not the old covenant, and, what, and the Seder would be a part of the old covenant. Well, and uh, the... The historic data that backs this up is that uh, the Christ offered his body and blood to his disciples not on the night of the Seder, <laughs> right? But, but on the night well, before that, right? <laughs> Hush! Don't confuse my gut intuition with your facts, man. This was not, the, this logical. Was not the Passover meal; it was the day before. He's the he sacrificed on the day. Oh, anyway, well, that's only if you don't know that in the Bible, time is evening to morning, not morning right, to evening. Right? Exactly. Yeah. You have to pay careful attention. <laughs> but then we. Then we eliminate the need for Seventh-day Adventists altogether. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> Just because you can't tell time, you found an entire are, sect of Christianity. religion again. I know, right? Calling Roman Catholics pagans. We're calling <laughs> Seventh-day Adventists. You know. We're just terrible people. We love I you repent. All. We love you all. We, we love you all. You're all our friends. Even if we disagree, we can still be Write friends. Write a review on iTunes for us. Or not. <laughs> yeah, maybe keep it to yourself. <laughs> That's right. So, what Luther does then coming out of, obviously, of Roman Catholicism, this Roman Catholic doctrine that he grew up in, was taught as a monk, you know, so forth. And he practiced himself up until he basically said, wait a minute, this isn't biblical, this isn't right. The order is promise, faith. So, as you pointed out in the introduction then, because God is faithful in his promise, we then trust because that's what the word pisteo means, pistis faith, yeah. trust. trust. It's an organic word. It's a relational word. We trust God because his promises are trustworthy. And so really, our faith is actually the faithfulness of Jesus that is imputed to us. Mm -hmm. This is the whole third article stuff. The Holy Spirit basically imputes to us the faithfulness of Jesus. So not we can't really say, my faith, because I have faith on loan from my Savior. Yeah, we possess it, but in an instrumental way. We'd say, right? Right. In the in the way that God said to the man, here's a garden, go name some stuff and take care of the garden. And did Adam say, oh, it's my garden. Thank you. Right. Right. He doesn't <laughs> step back and go, that is a nice row of carrots. Yeah. Right? Thanks, for, thanks for my garden. Um, you know, I'll take, you right. know take, I'll take care of it. You, you know, but it's mine now. <laughs> right. Exactly. So then uh, Peter continues, we do not come forward through Jesus' offering before our God. Jesus is not the portal, the door that we sneak into the heavenly throne room so that we can talk to God. Mm. This is like the uh, the Aztec priests who would skin their victims and put on their flesh because they believed they could sneak into the underworld. Oh, right. that's pleasant Again, thought. It's, ex it's extreme paganism. <laughs> it's extreme. But hey, that's what you do when... People are dying and you can't figure out why the gods are mad at you. You figure out a way to sneak into the other side on, you know, to the other side of the glass, so to speak, to get a peek into what are the gods, what are, what are the gods doing? I mean, it seems like a reasonable guess as to how you might go about such a thing, right? Right, right. Kill 80,000 people in one day. <laughs> That's a true fact, by the way. They killed 80,000 people in one day to try and figure, to try and basically get their God to drive the conquistadors away. Hmm. But can you imagine how much you have to work to kill 80,000 people in one day? Like how many priests and how fast do you have to work to kill 80,000 people? You know, some kind of, yeah. Whew. But they had to pull them up on top of the temple. They were up on that altar on top of the pyramid. Just like in Temple of, of Doom. Right. Just like the Temple of Doom. And they're cutting them stem to stern, ripping out their heart, burning it. Next. It, that's, it's not a simple process. It's not like you're just cutting them and then throwing them aside. There's a whole ritual to it. Cause again, mimesis got to do it the right, right way. That's a lot of people, man. <laughs> Sacrifice in the name of their God. 
That's just amazing. Yeah, it's kind of like uh, Elijah with the prophets of uh, Baal, right? Baal, and the, yeah. they're just trying to figure something. We got to get get his attention right. somehow. Right, exactly. Oh, well, what's next? Oh, we might as well just start cutting ourselves because maybe that'll get his attention. Actually, that's a really excellent point of comparison is driven to a point of anxiety, right? D- d- fear of the future, anxiety, fear about the future is we will do anything to try and get control of our destiny, mm. Even set ourselves on fire. Even set ourselves on fire, cut ourselves, cut other people up, sacrifice everything. Children, friends, whatever. It's like, in order to save our society, we'll just kill 80,000 people. It's like, you do realize that's an oxymoron, Yeah, counterintuitive there. To save our civilization, we'll just destroy it. But that's what we'll do. We'll do that. We'll do that relationally. We'll do that in the church. We'll do that in our businesses where we'll actually strangle ourselves to death in the name of saving ourselves from dying. Yeah. Spoiler alert, Thanos. (sighs) I don't know what you're talking about. Hmm. Just throw the axe at his head, man. That's all I'm saying. You blame Star-Lord, but you kind of got to blame Thor more than Star-Lord. There's a lot of blame to go around. That's right. There's equal blame. Um, So we do not come through Jesus's offering before God, in which we represent it in a sacramental commemoration before the Heavenly Father. Instead, God the Father himself, by verbal and sacramental means, makes the offering of Christ present for us through the Son in the Spirit and turns toward us. Mm. Right? This is the importance for Luther of always facing the congregation when you speak gospel words. The gospel is for you. It's not for the wall or the altar or the priest. It's for you, the people of God. And therefore, the gospel must always be preached to the congregation. And practically speaking, that didn't always play out for him. Um, I don't know that we should presume that it wouldn't have, you know, had he lived Mm -hmm. another 1,500 years. But, uh, Mm -hmm. you know, practically speaking, turning and facing the people, if that's not been the the practice for a long time, if ever... Mm -hmm. um, that might take a little while to convince a congregation it's oh, to be cool me? with it. You got the priest up there mumble rapping into the elements. <laughs> <laughs> you don't know what he's doing. And now I can see his face. I mean, I don't really want to look right. at him. And he in the oh, they even argue about the elevation though. Like, well, right. That was even a point well, of I think argument. we should argue about the elevation because that that is a substantial part of this representation, this resacrifice. Of course it is because you lift again going back to the Aztecs, you take the heart out of the victim, you lift it up to the skies before you throw it on the brazier to burn it. Right. And then the smoke goes up to the gods. And so if you don't understand why people have argued in the past about the raising of the elements or why it's a The body and big blood, deal, the bread and wine, by the way. Sorry, okay. yeah, the body and bread. Thank you. Um, is because that is a part of that mimetic tradition. And if you're not careful, that's why if you're watching when we're like, hey, that looks just like what pastor does on Sunday. Hmm. That should make you go, I hmm. wonder why. Hmm. Hmm. And uh, pastor, you didn't quite get it up high enough this time. Right, exactly, exactly. <laughs> and all of these things that we're talking about technically are a matter of Christian freedom. Yeah, that's true. However, I would argue to the death that you must face the congregation when you preach the gospel. Yeah, I don't know but, that I necessarily agree. But yeah, I know. Now, now who's being the conservative? But I, huh? but I do agree uh, <laughs> that we should sing it. But uh, anyway, that's a different story. <laughs> but if we're going to sing the... Oh, no, this is how it goes. If you're going to sing the verba, the words of institution, you should yeah. sing the gospel too. There you go. I like it. <laughs> that's Luther, and I would dis- Deutsche Messe. And I, would dis- Sorry. and I would disagree with you on that. Mm-hmm. So there that's we go. Right. We can speak in both. That's fine. <laughs> this is the last podcast for As Luther Does oh, no. It. Oh, no. 
We finally found a point, a bone of contention. But no, this is what I mean. And and this is a good point, though, is that we will take matters like what we're discussing right now and we'll turn these into ultimate things. Mm. And we'll allow that to divide a congregation. We'll allow it to divide a church body. We can can divide families even within our churches over things like this where someone says, no, you must elevate. And another person says, no, you must sing it. Or another person says, no, you must do this. Because the sacramental commemoration, it has to be commemorated. It has to be mimetic. It has to be exactly the right. same way that Jesus did it. Otherwise, it doesn't work. <laughs> right. Now, there is a point to, to for good order and for lack of distraction yes. that you that you be right. consistent. Right. You probably don't want me dancing yeah. while I do it, yeah. or like musical theater, or using different that, tune fun. every week or something. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> right. You mumble it one week, mumble rap it one week, then you chant it another week, and then you sing it in the in the style of a Methodist hymn. And I mean, then the next week, there's, it's, there's something to be said for keeping people on their toes. You know, maybe to the tune of Gilligan's Island. I don't know. Yeah, no, let's not do that. <laughs> That's not. Uh, people are losing their minds right now listening to this. <laughs> what are they doing? We do not come forward through Jesus's offering before God. We're not like smuggling ourselves into the heavenly throne room by re-sacrificing Jesus, but rather, as Luther says, he reverses the complete direction of the sacrament. Mm. Rather than us going into God's presence by representing Jesus' sacrifice and thus commemorating for God the high point of all history, the high point of God, rather God the Father by his word and the means of the sacrament, word, water, bread, and wine, makes the turn toward us. This is why the ironic blessing is so necessary and vital at the end of the service, Mm -hmm. because I turn the face, excuse me, the congregation, and I declare, the Lord bless you and keep you, the Lord make his face shine on you, the Lord look upon you with favor. In a Hebrew sense, for God to turn his face away from you means he's not talking to you, and that is the definition of hell. For, for an Israelite, the definition of hell is God stops talking to you. And But not only is his face turned towards you, but, I mean, the, the temple curtain has been torn in two, right? Right. I mean, really, right. heaven's been ripped. The gates of heaven have been opened up to you. Right. How does it go in Hebrews, the... the the separation, the veil the division, of separation, yeah. The veil of separation has been has been torn away, and lifted, this is the or, yeah. lifted right. Is that that's the key point? Is um, is that the word for? Is that schizomai? Mm, I don't know. Like we get the word schizophrenic from that. I think it's because that's the word in in the Gospels when the temple curtain is torn. It's schizomai, mm. or I'm murdering the Greek, but I'm going by memory. That's I know right. it's the root of schizomai, tearing, shredding. I think that's schizo. the word for the sky, too. Yeah, schizo. schizo. Isn't that the word that is used, too, when the sky opens up mm, in, in Mark? When Jesus up. comes up. Yeah, I think it's the same word. Mm. It's violent in Mark. Mark loves those action scenes. He uses, like, really strong words like that. He's the last action hero. <laughs> oh, don't go with that. That's a good soundtrack. It's a strange soundtrack. <laughs> strange. It's a, strange. It's a strange soundtrack. Too. It's a strange movie. <laughs> it, was, it, was, it, was a, it would work today because we're so meta and so post-ironic now. It would work better, and, yeah. It would work much better because we'd get the conceit of it. I think in, in, in that time when it happened, it was so much in that genre and that genre was all over the place that to see that make fun of all these other movies and then make fun, of course, of Arnold <laughs> within the context of the movie itself mm-hmm. was so meta that I think a lot of current people at that time were like, I don't get it. Yeah. <laughs> Again, Big Boys one or Bad Boys 1 and 2, The Last Boy Scout, those are like super popular movies. Lethal Weapon 1 through 15. Right. Like all those are all the popular movies at the time, right? And they're mocking all of these movies. Whereas I think today we have a much different perception of action movies. That's why John Wick was so po- is so popular. That's right. The Expendables was so popular. And right, they keep exactly. making sequels as absurd as they are. Right. Like they have a larger cast than the Avengers <laughs> at this point. It's just how many how many action heroes from the eighties are still alive and like Oh, let's call up Dolph. I'm sure he's available. Right. There we go. For a cameo. <laughs> 
So the Father comes to us, we don't go to the God. Luther, in fact, seems totally to avoid the term representatio. Mm -hmm. There you go. As he does with respect to the consecration, when he accentuates the distribution, here as well he speaks exclusively about the distribution and bestowal of the events that took place on the cross. This is Luther's famous um, point about uh, in, against the heavenly prophets, mm -hmm. when he's writing against actually Karlstadt and the, these other fanatics who want to you know, tear down the statuaries, break out the stained glass windows, and rip all the art out of the churches because it's too Catholic, um, where Luther says, if you don't go backwards to the cross to get the benefits of what Jesus did for you uh, there. Right, yeah. Rather, you go to the Lord's Supper. And so, the benefits of what Jesus gained for us at the cross of Calvary 2,000 years ago are given to us in the present tense, in the Lord's Supper. And this, and again, what he's reacting against is this idea, like Andreas Karlstadt said, is when we eat the body and blood of Jesus, we are participating in the actual suffering and death of Jesus, mm. mystically, mm -hmm. spiritually. And Luther is saying... So again, were you there when we crucified my Lord? <laughs> right. Karlstadt would have said yes. Luther would have said no. It's been very interesting to, get to to have Dr. Luther see some of the hymns that we sang. Oh, no as kidding. Canon. No kidding. Were you there when they crucified my Lord? No, I wasn't actually. Well, and then no. there's also <laughs> that that heavy emphasis on um, the sacrament needs to represent the blood at least, right? With red yes, wine, right? Uh, which right. the Reformed insisted upon. Right. And then the Lutherans are like, uh, okay, fine, we'll use white or golden or right. whatever because right. no it doesn't need to represent right. to be what it is it's christ's word that makes it what it is you know and the only difference between and red so wine we, and white wine is one we left the skins on when we pressed it i guess right right well and if you've ever been to a higher things conference now you know why we drink the golden wine mm -hmm. i think it's white wine and golden cups or golden wine it's whatever wine we can get locally so cheap that's true. You, hey, don't say that. Have you been don't, part of the run? I've been part of the don't, run. Don't pull back the veil. They don't need to see the wizard. <laughs> it's like, can we buy like four cases of, what can we get four cases of? <laughs> I just want to apologize now to Pastor Rich Heinz and all of the people involved with the liturgy and worship at Higher Things Conferences. Pastor Gillespie has exposed our dirty well, that, secrets. No, this only happens, well, never mind. I won't give you the mechanics at all. <laughs> I don't need it. It doesn't regularly it. happen, but sometimes it does happen. Here, full disclosure, it really bothers me that we don't drink red wine. <laughs> and again, you if you're like, he's he has not a pious bone in his body. You are a Methodist. Me. I knew it. <laughs> <laughs> it's it, There's so many secrets coming out on the show. We're recording Saturday afternoon, which we never do. So apparently this is the witching hour for you've us. You've already rolled today, start, so that's part of it. I rolled and did clinch work in Muay Thai. I am beat to a pole. Yeah, I see a little flap happy. Um, I was the only white belt. But it does, I, mean, I got tapped by a, by a purple belt laying on top of me. Twice. Mental image. There you go. <laughs> there we go. Uh, but it never makes sense to me anyway that it has to represent because the, right. the bread never is going to. And maybe in a in a unless unless you uh, did them like animal crackers, I suppose you could do it that right. way. Right, sure. But I think in a in a pastoral sense, or maybe just in a in a, a good order mm -hmm. sense, these are good conversations to have in your church. Yeah. So that because as, as we all know. Our churches have traditions, we have practices that we just accept as canon, they're dogma. Right. It's just the way we do it. Without ever really stepping back and going, is my piety really hung up on the color of the wine? Uh, yeah, it actually is. And recognizing that's super absurd, yeah. it's not logical, mm -hmm. and yet I know it's absurd and not logical. And that way, when I go to the Higher Things conferences and I come to Lord's Table, even though I kind of cringe a little bit... <laughs> It's a good exercise for me to remind myself the color of the wine is a matter of Christian freedom. Jesus doesn't say only use this color. Well, same with <laughs> and, varietal of, of the grape, sweet right. or 
or dry, you know, which yeah. preparation they used. I mean, there's right. there, there's a multitude of wines. I don't just don't just don't use bitter wine. And I I don't even know what <laughs> wine they would have had in you know first century Palestine. So right, right, and does it really matter? And yet, <laughs> if you go online and type this in, there are plenty of articles written that will argue what kind of wine was being served at that. So that we supper. can get this rep this the super exactly. representative yeah. yeah, mimetic this mimetic practice. Got to do it right, man. Yeah. So again, not Christian, just pagan. So as he does with respect to the consecration, then, as we said, he accentuates distribution, the four units, as we talked about. This is why in the catechism, there is, there is one thing on the word, one thing on the eating and drinking, one thing on the four you, is that Luther is eliminating the receptionists Mm -hmm. who think it's just the eating and drinking that are the thing. But then he attacks the other side of the aisle, which says, no, it's the action. It's the sacramental action. That's the thing. It's the word. That's the thing, not the eating and drinking. And he's saying, no, dummy, it's both. Right. It's not one or the other. It's both. Yeah. Because if you're a consecrationalist, then you're the, you're the kind of person that's going to build a little chapel next to your church and put all the consecrated yeah. stuff there so you can go and worship it. Right. If you're a receptionist, then it doesn't really matter what the church says. As long as I right. believe it's the Lord's Supper and I want to receive it, then it's all about right. that. It's, it right. has nothing to do with corporate confession or community or anything. It's all about me. And I would say, tell me what you think about this too. I'm thinking out loud, mm-hmm. as I often do. But if you want to see how the old Adam will build a religion out of anything... Have a conversation with five other Lutherans about the Lord's Supper. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then have a conversation with five Christian friends who aren't Lutheran about the Lord's Supper. And have a conversation with non-Christian friends about the Lord's Supper and what you believe it is and see what happens. Because we have built such an edifice on top of the Lord's Supper, maybe specifically in the Lutheran church, because we fight so much against the Protestant and Roman mm-hmm. Catholic pull. But I I don't see the religiosity of the old Adam come out any more strongly than around the Lord's table, it, which makes sense. It's the body and blood of Jesus, so therefore, obviously, we're going to try and build this you know this monument, this tomb over it. Well, it does make it and, does matter, <laughs> right? Exactly. Yeah. But it matters in the direction of I'm going to figure out a way to venerate this and turn this into mm-hmm. an idol, like you were saying. We're gonna we're gonna venerate the elements, mm-hmm. and then we'll just worship the elements. We'll have a we'll have a fancy thing on a stick. Or we can put yeah, put exactly. that, a big uh, celebrant host in the middle, and we'll yes, walk around town, yes. and everybody can bow down exactly. to this bread that is not right. going to be eaten. Um, Versus the opposite side, which is we're going to drink out of plastic cups, we're going to eat styrofoam wafers, and we're going to throw them in a plastic garbage sack on our way back to our pew. Hmm. Which to me, again, it's both, again we fall into one or the other ditch versus just treating it for what it is. Right, yeah. <laughs> It's like someone, uh, a ki- uh, one of the kids asked me, when is it not the body and blood of Jesus? And I said, I don't know. Right. That's why we <laughs> drink it, because that's what the instruction right. is. <laughs> this is why This is why I consume everything at the end mm-hmm. of the sacrament, so that, do I have to? No. Do I? Yes. Why? Because there's people in my congregation that ask the question, well, when is it not, and how do we dispose of it? And obviously, you and I both know this, and most churches know how to dispose of it. They used to even have sinks that had a tube that ran down in the ground. Pasina is the word. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Um Having not grown up in the church, I don't know all the fancy words, Pastor Gillespie. Have to Apparently, if you me. try to add a piscina, which I learned in the congregation I'm serving, to add a piscina. Um, <laughs> to add a piscina. I think I've been there. Yeah. It actually is against city code, so no you kidding. can't install one post you know, post hoc. It, it has to be there huh. when you built your church. So that's why the, the, you don't see those in newer churches. Yeah, because it goes against code. You can't, you can't have a sink that doesn't go into the sewer. Huh. Interesting. Huh. Very interesting. Yeah. 
That makes sense. Yeah. So anyways, the point being, I said, we respect it because it's consecrated. Mm. We respect it because it is the body and blood of Jesus. We respect it because it's God's action for us. It's not our decision, our perception of what's happening. Yeah, and even even us. if uh, whatever you think happens after the the, the yeah. actual liturgy of the Lord's Supper, yeah. um, since we don't know, we don't act as if we do know, right? Right. So, exactly. So just eat That's and drink it, and then for the sake of good order, mm-hmm. in and for the sake of Christian freedom to not bind consciences, consume it. Yeah. Yeah. Or don't, but treat it with respect. Treat it reverently. Yeah. Reserve just it. Don't worship for, it, and and save it in a, in a right. vessel. Exactly. Yep. So, took place on the cross. His own specific thinking about this, Luther's own specific thinking about this, seldom includes reference to the word cross in this connection. He tends more to speak about Jesus' suffering and martyrdom concerning Christ's death and resurrection, or about Christ's blood as part of the life of Jesus that was given up and then resurrected. Mm-hmm. Which is a good point, too. But basically, what he's doing is he's trying to divorce himself and this movement from this Roman Catholic teaching on the sacrificial nature of the activity in in the liturgy. And so anything that would mystically connect us with Calvary, anything that would allow us to participate in something that's not present tense, he wants to eliminate. He doesn't want there to be any confusion of what was happening. We're not being teleported magically, mystically through time and space. And now we're at Calvary and we're really there with Jesus on, on Calvary. We don't need to be because he's here with us in the present tense. Mm-hmm. And this is the way he's chosen to, to give himself to us, to show his love toward us. And so it's not so much, like he said, the cross in, a, in an abstract sense, in an idealized sense, but rather, let's talk more about Jesus' suffering and death. Let's talk about more about his resurrection and about how this blood that we receive is part of the life that Jesus has given up and resurrected. Mm-hmm. And that's why the resurrected Jesus um, shows them his, his hands and his side, right? Yeah. with Thomas or whatnot, because it's it's not as if now he's transcended that action, and we move mm-hmm. on from what he did upon the cross, uh, right? but we don't have to go back to the cross to know that he suffered and died for us. <laughs> right, exactly. And this is uh, Dr. King Corby's point, that when we go to Lord's Supper, it's like going to our funeral, so that when we go to our funeral, it's like going to Lord's Supper. Mm-hmm. And the only correction that I've made in my lectures is, when we go to Lord's Supper, we are going to our funeral, and when we uh, go to our funeral, we are going to Lord's Supper. It's not an as if, it's a fact. It's a dying and rising like baptism. Exactly, mm-hmm. exactly. When, and you could actually, again, how do we use our baptism? Why, Pastor Riley, you're always talking about using your baptism. What does that even look like? Well, do you pray? That's using your baptism. Do you go to the Lord's table? That's using your baptism. Because you know what non-baptized people don't do? Go to the Lord's Supper. And don't pray. And... <laughs> and don't pray, and don't hunger for the gospel, and don't ask questions like, what do you do with leftover wine and wafers after the sacrament? Mm-hmm. People with no faith don't have these questions. Mm-hmm. That's true. Maybe as a curiosity, like, what are you doing up there? But in the sense of actual concern, that's actually, you're using your baptism. That's what you're doing. <laughs> right. Going to Bible study is using your baptism. Loving your neighbors yourself, praying for people you don't like, you're using your baptism. Yeah, and that's the thing with piety when it comes to all the sacraments, uh, but yeah. particularly here we've been talking about the Lord's Supper, and that it does tell us what we care about, and that we do yes. care about it. I mean, that people are so passionate about these questions indicates um, that it does matter to them, yeah. and hopefully for the right reason, you know, because right. of and, forgiveness of sins. This is something that Werner Ehlert talks about in uh, Eucharistic Fellowship in the first four centuries, or however that Mm -hmm, title goes. We got to read that. Um, That's a great book. But Ehlert points out that in the early church, the way that they would teach the sacrament, teach the Lord's Supper, is this is the heart of the divine service. It's also the heart of the church. 
And, and as Dr. Saze said, I think I've referenced this before, Dr. Saze said then when you take the Lord's Supper away, it's like a man who's limping around without his heart. Mm. Is that he can't get very far before he drops dead. And so for the early church and then for Dr. Saze, and we would argue probably for Luther, take the Lord's Supper out of the, out of the divine service and you've really ripped the heart of the church and you've ripped the heart out of the divine service. Yeah. Have we talked about preaching the sacraments on this podcast yet? I don't. That Saze essay? Uh, I don't think so. We read Saze, but did we read that? Yeah. I think we should go back and do that. You know, it's, and sure. it's interesting Maybe. too, because, um, you know, we're coming out of, or we're in a tradition, um, Missouri Synod, Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. Yeah. And the Saxons, who are, you know, the primary part, people group of that uh, mm-hmm. immigration to the U.S., they, they switched their language. They referred to the um, pastoral office. You know, it was known as the Pharamt, right, in German? Mm-hmm. So it's yeah. the pastoral office. And, uh, but they switched it to be the predictomt. Predictomt, yeah, exactly. So, so they, they flipped the emphasis from far, past, pastoring, to predict, yeah. to preaching. Preaching, and exactly. And you could make the argument that, that they thought, yeah, that they thought preaching um, would take precedent over the sacrament. That mm-hmm. it was really about the sermon, and that's a very reformed kind of move. <laughs> mm-hmm. you know. Yeah, how dare you suggest? I that, know. Sir? Well, whatever. I've been reading. That's right. Yeah, very good. Good for you. Mm-hmm. Education. Yeah. So Peters continues. Though the reformer follows course and merely hints at a representation of the cross as saving event, when speaking about the office of the keys and the Eucharist, there. Peter's going to mix it up, call it the Eucharist. So speaking about the office of the keys in the Eucharist and emphasizes instead the application of the suffering of Christ by speaking of the gifts that are offered and received. He does depict that say, saving confrontation with Christ's sacrificial death and resurrection in a powerful way in his sermons about baptism, especially in his commentaries on Romans 6. That is an enormously long that sentence. That was a paragraph. Yeah, man. But it was a sentence. That's crazy. Hmm. One, yeah. Well, the German for you. So let's retrace our steps. Though the Reformer follows chorus and merely hints at a representation of the cross as saving event, quote unquote, when speaking about the office of the keys and the Eucharist, and emphasizes instead the application of the suffering of Christ by speaking of the gifts that are offered and received. He does depict that saving confrontation with Christ's sacrificial death and resurrection in a powerful way in his sermons about baptism, mm-hmm. especially Romans 6. Mm. In such texts, which we must discuss further when we consider baptism, Luther states clearly, the Lord as the one who is present at all times as Savior makes present for us his saving act in baptism in order to let it have full effect on our behalf, in order to make it possible for us to comprehend it, that it might come to full effect. Hmm. So, baptism is our cross. Yes. Yeah. Our death and resurrection. Right. And this is somewhat controversial in the present tense because, unfortunately, we collapse the sacraments into each other, which we talked about in relation to Augustine before. Did we? Is that, uh, yeah, at some point in the distant past. I was going to say, well, we're we're 26 episodes in. So, yeah. Yeah, there we go. (laughs) It was probably 20 episodes ago. But essentially, baptism is necessary for salvation. The body and blood of Jesus in the Lord's Supper are not. Mm -hmm. That baptism now saves you. The body and blood then, like with the post-communion collect, strengthen faith and increase love for one another. Mm -hmm. It doesn't, I'm not, again, we're not negating or denigrating one over and against the other. This isn't a hierarchy, but rather baptism, as Luther points out, baptism is where he's present at all times as Savior, makes himself present for us in the saving act of baptism, and then it has full effect on us. Baptism now saves you. Baptism, exactly. Baptism now saves you, and the effect of baptism is the Lord's table, right? the Lord's Supper. um, Yes, I want more. (laughs) <laughs> right. Please. I want more of this. I want more forgiveness. Mm-hmm. I want more Jesus. Yeah. Give me more. Yeah. 
And so then there's preaching, there's absolution, right. there's the sacrament. The Which again goes to the point of how religious we become in that sense of we create a hierarchy of value around the sacraments. Mm. And it's like, well, gospel is good, but it's not as good as the Lord's Supper. Well, Lord's Supper, I mean, I, I prefer emphasizing baptism over against Lord's Supper. It's like, you just get in this argument about which is more important. And it's like, no, 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 Or no, which no. is the high it's, point in the divine service, even. Right. It's like the tide. It goes in and it comes out and it goes in and it comes out. And it's all, it's all one. It's billions and billions of water molecules that form a wave, but it's a wave. It's one giant wave. Yeah. <laughs> and you can get lost in the drops of water and not recognize the wave. Yeah, and how it functions as a whole. And I think maybe some of this is caught up in in that whole, you know, subjective perception of the effect of these things, yeah. right? So, right. like, oh, baptism is really important to me today, but you know what? Eh, the sermon didn't yeah. really click, and the Lord's Supper was just right like it was last week, you know. And but some weeks you might have a different experience, and then somehow, or maybe you have a regular experience, and it's always the preaching, and so then mm-hmm. you kind of establish that precedent and say, well, that's what really matters, and uh, yeah, right. and then negate the fact that. God has promised to be working through those other gifts, regardless of how you feel right. about it. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Because as you just pointed out, and we talked about in rela- relation to this whole language of representation, the mimetic practice or the ritual of it, um, we want to take control mm-hmm. of what God has given us and say, we'll, re- we'll, we'll receive it or we'll take it. Usually we just want to take it. We don't want to receive it because that's too passive for us. And we want to flip promise and faith. So it's our faith and then we receive the promise, which then technically isn't a promise. It's more like a guarantee. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like, I have faith. I've shown myself to be trustworthy. I offer the right kind of sacrifices. Now, what am I getting? What kind of guarantee am I going to get? Really a reward. Yeah, 100%. Yeah. And, and avoid the punishment. That's why we have to do it exactly the right way, because mm. there's a lot at stake. So the reward then, of, uh, of making a good confession at your confirmation is the Lord's Supper. Right, exactly. Exactly. The rite of passage. Mm. Yeah, you got me going in that direction. Let's not go there. You baited me. You baited me. You did. So the element, the water that is affected through and through by the word becomes for us the means whereby his sacrificial death comes into contact with us. Since we are physically dipped into the water, Christ himself places us into his own death in order to provide us the gift of enabling us to participate in his resurrection. Mm. Luther Thus does more than just give witness to the real presence of the Lord and the application of the saving grace, which Christ accomplished through the cross and resurrection. The reformer gives witness to the real presence of his sacrificial death and Jesus' resurrection as the eschatological saving action of God, mm. which reaches out to us through word and element and incorporates us therein. So it's not just that we die and we rise, but it's mm-hmm. but it has the uh, the goal or purpose of those things, you know, that we die to mm-hmm. sin. And we yeah. rise to new life in Christ, eternal life, right. forgiveness, etc. Well, so the Holy Spirit comes from the future to tell us ahead of time in the affirmative, you are forgiven, you will be raised in the last day, there is no condemnation for those who are in Jesus Christ today and forever. And therefore, in the present tense, even though you don't see sin lifted off of you, let's say, mm-hmm. or you don't see death removed from you because you get older, you have sicknesses, illnesses, diseases... In, I'm telling you, at the last day, none of these things are true. And therefore, since they're not true at the last day, they're also not true in the past because Jesus died for your sins in the past. Right. So they're not true back then either. Mm. And again, and, and, and Paul talks about this, it, Paul talks about this in Ephesians. Um, this is the Lamb of God who took away the sins of the world before the foundation. Like, we were chosen in Christ before the foundation of the world. Yeah. So therefore, this is outside of time and space. It's chirotic time. And therefore, when we come to the Lord's table, it's not just a present tense 
reality. It's also a past and future tense reality. We were chosen in Christ before the foundation of the world. And by the way, if you're worried about the last day, that's sewn up too. Yeah. Like it's all of a whole. So look backwards, look forwards, look down in the present tense. Doesn't matter. It's all one whole forgiveness. You're forgiven. It's like uh, Doc said to Marty in Back to the Future Part 2. Marty, you're not thinking fourth dimensionally. That's right, exactly. Mm-hmm. Whereas I would argue you're not, you're not thinking fifth dimensionally. And we, we have that conversation, I think. <laughs> yeah. Somewhere, at some point. Somewhere, at some point. In exactly. the past, in the future. Not really sure. We got to stop talking to each other <laughs> outside of podcasts. <laughs> but this is the point then, is that when the word comes in contact with us and it comes through the means of the water, Jesus places us into his own death. So even though we don't die Jesus' death, he dies our death. Ah, uh, yes. Like he, like in a, in a, in a very, to use an analogy or just basically throw it out there, Jesus basically runs ahead of me to my, the moment of my death and goes, no, not him, me. And he does that for all of our deaths. He runs ahead of us into the future, our future, and says, let me just take this. So at the, la- at our last moment on our deathbed, when we give up the ghost, so to speak, when we give up our last breath, that's why Jesus can call it a sleep. Mm-hmm. Because he basically rushes forward and goes, I got this. It's a different way to understand Paul's word about running the race that's set before us, right? Yeah, right. That too. You know, yeah. So it's like, well, um, it's not it's not a question of if you get to the finish right. line. <laughs> right. Right. It's really a question of when. And that's right. and even that isn't all that relevant a question. Well, and this is why in our vocations too, we can take our neighbor's death into our own body. Mm. Because we know what's going to happen to us. We're going to go to sleep. We're going to take a nap. And then Jesus is going to wake me up for lunch. Mm-hmm. And I don't want my neighbor to not have that comfort and that satisfaction to know no matter what happens, I'm going to, I'm, and this is the whole point of like Paul, a slave for Christ. That what is the purpose of a slave? A slave stands in the place of you so you don't have to die as fast. Yeah. And so that's why we have slaves do the things that kill you faster, that wear you down, that break your back, that do all the things that you don't want to do because they kill you. And so when Paul says he's a slave for Christ, well, that's the point, is that Paul is basically giving up his rights, his sovereignty, to say, I'll, I'll die for my neighbor's sin. Mm. I'll take that death into my own body the way that Christ has taken me into his own death and resurrection. And that's why we can take our neighbor's death into our, our to ourself. We can take our neighbor's sin to ourself when they fall in the ditch and they need help out of the ditch on account of sin. It's because we know that Jesus has died our death for us and already said to us, I got this. But my neighbor doesn't know that. Well, that's why he's in the ditch. Mm-hmm. That's why he's struggling. And so we take our neighbor to ourselves. And we lo- and this is John, you know, First John four stuff. We love him, our neighbor, as Christ has first loved us. And we don't have to worry about being selfish with our love. We don't have to worry about what the return is going to be. We don't have to worry about getting a reward for it because we already have the certainty. Because the Holy Spirit comes from the future to say, "It's all we got. It. It's okay. Yeah. It's going to be okay. Everything's going to be okay." And not and not in a sappy, pappy, psychological, psych yourself out sort of way. What I mean is literally, no matter what happens. At the last day, it's going to be okay. It's going to be good. Well, that's the kind of confidence or uh, trust um, that the sacraments are meant to give, right? Exactly. Especially baptism. Um, Say, so right. you are my child. I mean, that's not something right. you, like the prodigal son story is meant right. to teach us. That's not something yes. that's going to change, right? regardless of our action, which should be um, wonderfully comforting. Because then we can go into the right. ditch, we can go into the pigsty to try to, you know, to rescue yeah, someone. Exactly. No? That's what I love about the Lord's Supper. It's the one time during the whole service that everybody has to shut up and let God talk. <laughs> uh, <laughs> because you, he just shoves himself into your mouth and goes, here, chew this while I talk to yeah, you. Yeah, I mean, the only appropriate response usually that I, that I hear is probably amen, right? Yeah. 
Right. What else can you say? I'd like a moment to form a rebuttal. I'm not ready yet. Hold on. You know, that kind of stuff. No. Gimme. Gimme. I'll accept gimme. I'll accept that. <laughs> Please. <laughs> that I will not accept. This is not a transaction. <laughs> uh, so Luther thus does more than just give witness to the real presence of the Lord and the application of the saving grace, which Christ accomplished through the cross and resurrection. The reformer gives witness to the real presence of a sacrificial death and Jesus's resurrection as the eschatological, eschatological meaning end times, the last yeah. end times, last things, action of God, which reaches out to us through word. And so again, if you want to know what God thinks about you or what God's going to have to say to you at the last day, go to the Lord's table because that's what he's going to say to you. <laughs> that's it. Yeah. I forgive you. That's all you're going to hear at the last day. So if you're worried about what's going to happen next, go to the Lord's table. So the saving power of what is present in the here and now has an impact on what will take place then. At, oh, there you go. Mm-hmm. Oh, man. At that time in the consummation that will be once and for all, which on the one hand takes place at a specific point within the time frame of history, once and now in the past as a real historical event, but which at the same time breaks the bounds of this historical event as the eschatological event of salvation beyond the bounds of every historical and secular way of thinking. Right. So that's, uh, uh, you mentioned chirotic earlier, right? And that's, that's this. Uh, the difference or the distinction between chronos, like chronological, you know, time, yep, tick-tock, tick-tock, yep. tick-tock, the heart, yep. and uh, kairos, uh, which you would define as... Hmm. How would you define that? Now, God's appointed time, at the appointed time, yeah. when God... Yeah. Well, and its use in the Gospels are, you know, my time has not yet come. Right. Jesus keeps saying that. And he's not referring to, like, chronological time, but he's talking about the time of fulfillment, right? When uh, yeah. when all things are brought into subjection <laughs> right. um, through his death. I'm just going to look up chirotic time. I want to see what the definition hmm. is if I, if I Google it. Google. Chirotic, a time when conditions are right for the accomplishment of a crucial action. Hmm. The opportune and decisive moment. As I heard uh, one sermon at seminary, you know, time was like an overripe boil waiting to explode. There we go. That works. <laughs> it's pretty that visual, works. but... Uh, it's a strong visual. I'll give you that. Yeah, but... Don't, don't really need a PowerPoint but, slide for that. But think about it. It's like um, with Mary and her conception, right? And mm-hmm. when the time yeah. had come for her to give birth, it's not exactly. like chronological, yeah. as any woman will tell you. <laughs> right. It's chirotic. It's chirotic. Yeah, exactly. like, no, at the critical time. Now is the time for the baby to be born. Right. right? You don't you don't right. you, you don't have any idea about time minute. You date that after the fact. <laughs> total total sidebar, but if you're on the fence or you have any doubt whatsoever about evolution, microevolution, macroevolution, go and find out the chemical process that happens when a woman goes into labor. Because what's amazing about it is they don't mm-hmm. have any control over it. You're born with it. It doesn't actually go into effect till you hit puberty. And then when you get pregnant, all of these chemical cocktail. Like yeah. trips basically. Yeah, it's like this chemical cocktail that happens in your body and it has to happen it's like 24 different like chemical reactions happen or something. It's, it's something amazing. And all of these things have to happen have to happen simultaneously for you to go into labor and deliver this child. It's pretty amazing. I mean, yeah, your hips are designed to unhinge so you can give birth too, which is amazing in itself, but just the 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 biochemical reaction that takes place in a, in a woman's body to go into labor like the electrical impulses that are like firing and how it's taking place to me anyways is just amazing it's an amazing and that's thing. W- and that's why you know simple induction chemical induction yeah. um isn't always entirely successful right, right. It, it just doesn't right. work right it, it it fakes it but it's yeah it's not the same 
But the body knows. The body That's the knows. thing. Like the body, the body figures it oh, out. Oh, they're not dilating fast enough. Give them more drugs. You know. Right. Exactly. God made me to do it this way. Well, I'm sorry, but we're going to do it this way. Yeah. And there may be a good cause again, for that. You know. Absolutely. Yeah. But no, like the doctors, they they're again they're thinking chronologically, mm-hmm. and the body's like chirotic. It's just like at the appointed time, this baby's coming, and the doctors are like. Eh. <laughs> Like the scheduled cesarean. Right, exactly. And like you said, it's easy to talk about in the abstract, but once you factor in things like sin, mm-hmm, right, all of these things are in the mix, and that's the reason why. And that's why God gives us doctors. Mm-hmm. They are gifts. They are first article of gifts, so that when your body goes, yeah, this whole chirotic thing is not really, we're, we're having trouble with that. You have the earthly gift of a doctor who can say, we got to do something about Mom's this right danger, now. danger, child's in danger. Either exactly. Right. Yeah. So again, first article, second article, mm-hmm. it's all gift. Mm-hmm. So Luther engages, so not to skip over that too quickly, but that's the point is that the Lord's Supper, which is why when we sing the song to us, we're singing with angels and archangels and all the company of heaven. Mm-hmm. Company of heaven is all those who are in the resurrection, past, present, and future. This is why this is the high point of the entire week, the high point of the liturgy, and the high point of your life, other than baptism. Because something is happening chronologically in time and, and, and space. You are coming to the table. I am giving you the bread and wine. But there's also something that's happening outside of time and space mm-hmm. at the same time. You can call it an overlap. You can call it a superimposition, whatever you want to call it. But that God is actually giving you his body and blood under the bread and wine at the same time. Mm-hmm. And that this isn't a mystical, spiritual thing. This is the is means is part of our program. When he says is, he means is. And we don't understand what that means. It's a mystery, which is why we receive it in faith. And... This is why it's the heart of the divine service and the heart of the liturgy and the heart of the church, because this is the one place on a weekly basis. This is the one place that we know for certain God is present for you. You can make a, you can botch the sermon. Mm. You can have terrible, bad hymns. The whole thing can be a selfish, subjective, me, me, me prayers. But the one thing you can't cheat on are the words of distribution. You either got to paraphrase them to like basically water them down and dilute them so they're not the words of, of our Lord, or just get rid of them altogether. I think this is maybe why um, it kind of bugs me when when uh, when the the pastor just kind of rumble uh, rumbles, yeah, you know, or, riffs, yeah, just <laughs> riffs on the on the text, or just kind of rips through it quickly. Yeah, like, yeah. Mm, no, let, you know, we're not like we said, we're not chronologically bound here. Right. right. This is the moment right. we can take a moment here, you right. know, to. Uh, uh, enjoy. Well, it's like Luther's <laughs> criticism of the priests who bragged that they could go through the entire mass in five minutes. Yeah. They could just rip it off. That's not the church a, of like, the Lutheran hour. That's the church of the, right? the five-minute mass. Right. But the, they could just rip off masses one after the other all afternoon long. And because they made a lot of money doing it, of course. They're doing private masses. They could just rip it off. But that was his complaint. Is like, you're basically, you're an ape at that point. Mm-hmm. You're just aping... <laughs> It's like proper the proper way to do like, this. I mean, not even uh, who's a Model T guy. You know, not even Ford could Ford could uh, be as efficient as those guys were. Right, exactly. So again, it goes to the point of what is the purpose of these words? Mm. And if we decide this is the purpose, they only have value insofar as we give them value. But if the words have value in that they're Jesus's actual words that have actually miraculously been translated to us over 2000 years and we somehow managed not to screw it up, that's a that's a pretty significant thing. Yeah, we didn't manage it. That was the Spirit's work. And they're God's words. Right. So who are we to treat them as if they're worth a you know, 5 cents on the dollar? 
versus this is invaluable. These words are invaluable and I will take as much time as I need to. Mm-hmm. Now, again, please, for the love of God, don't take five minutes to say just the words of institution. <laughs> we're, we're human beings. We have, to, we have a time limit on our patients. Right. But it's reasonable However, to give them some emphasis, right? I would say so. And I think each pastor probably has a point of emphasis. Mm-hmm. For me, it's the four units. Yeah. Right. Uh, others, it might be emphasis on the New Testament part of it. I refuse to say New Covenant. Yeah, it's, again, theologically, I could argue all day for that. Mm-hmm. Other people place the emphasis on remembrance, but nonetheless, they're they're Jesus's words. So slow down, mm-hmm. and if nothing else, mindfully meditate on the fact that God is speaking to you. That's not a small thing. No, it shouldn't be. <laughs> it shouldn't be. <laughs> but it becomes again, especially for those of us I think who celebrate the sacrament every Sunday and every Holy Day. Mm. It can become just the thing we do. And then you just rip through it, right? It's like when your spouse says, I love you, and you're like, I love you too. Like, do you really stop and think? And are you mindful of the fact that what was just said is profound? Right. But if it's so common and so ordinary, it doesn't seem profound. But to have another person, just talk to somebody who doesn't have someone who says that to them. Right. And ask them when you say that to them, how profound those words are to them. But if it's our if, I, if it's our commemoration, our representative representation, yeah. if that's what we're going yeah. about there, then it really yeah. becomes utilitarian. Yeah, exactly. Right. Well, I go to church on Sunday. It's just this thing we do. It's part of my schedule. I put my God time in and then I go home. Or I get something out of it, whatever that is. Yeah, right, you right. Know, it's all of, it isn't wrong to emphasize benefit, but it, it better be the benefit that, that Christ promises, right? Right. It's, it, it, again, the four units of it, and it's not something that happens in my mind or my heart. Like, if we, or, if we offer the Lord's Supper, it's going to bring the church together. Um, right. Well, it might, or due to unbelief, it might actually drive a, <laughs> drive a I was gonna, wedge in the car. I was going to say, exactly. You know? Probably both. Probably both. Yeah. Those, those who believe will be drawn, you know, yeah. uh, to regular reception. And those. And as I tell everybody, you don't have to come up to the Lord's table every Sunday. Mm-mm. This is also a matter of freedom. It is. But we have a small congregation, so of course, nobody wants to be the person sitting alone in their pew Scandal. when people are walking. Yeah. Exactly. Well, what did she do? I get Pastor, it. I get, but I I just, get these looks. Yeah, that's I know right. It looks. It's okay. It's cool. You're not running over the cliff with the other lemmings. That's right. But no, I totally understand it. But I just put it out there so people understand. I'm not forcing you. I'm not saying this is a command. You must come forward with the rest of the church and take this. Because I've had people, pastorally speaking, I've had people who have not come to the Lord's table for one reason or another. And in some cases, it was because of a specific sin right. that they were burdened by or a sin that I said as a pastor, could you just hold off? Because a lot of people in the congregation know about this, and this would create a scandal for them. Mm-hmm. Or just... Um, uh, or working through people, some, some, you know, pretty significant unbelief, right? Yeah, significant unbelief. Or just the fact that they come into the congregation and they're not Lutheran. Mm, yeah. And they're not really clear on what we do. And I'm like, I want to have this conversation with you, and I want you to really enjoy the fullness of what you're receiving here, as much as that is possible. And so hold off, because I know what you were taught over there in that that church. Yeah. That's not what we teach. Or the way that they taught you that in that Lutheran church, not the full picture. Kind of cut a few corners there. Mm. So let's have that conversation. Whatever it may be, it'll happen. But again, that's the exception, not the rule. Yeah. And I and mm, we could talk about the blessing, giving a blessing mm-hmm. to everybody at the rail. I mean, maybe that's an accommodation. Um, but, you know, yeah, whatever floats your boat. I, I think it's more practical than anything. I, has, I think it has to do with the size. Yeah. Of the congregation. Yeah. I think it was more of a practical thing. When, again, most of the stuff in the church that we accept as tradition now just started off as a pragmatic response mm-hmm. to a, a right. problem. Right. Yeah, we can't leave the kids and, in the pew, so we'll take them up to the right. altar. 
Right, exactly. Because you know, yeah, the ble- yeah, laying on hands. You know what's going to happen. Did I tell you? I t- so I subbed at a congregation that hadn't called a pastor yet, and I was helping them out with the call process. And uh, they had the Lord's Supper then mm-hmm. the night that I was there. And apparently, they don't do that blessing of the children. Mm. So I didn't know that. No one told me. So the first time I reached out. This child recoiled from me in like actual, like he actually had tear in his eyes. Like, what are you doing? Because <laughs> I just reached out to my hand on his head. He just recoiled from me and pulled back. And his mom looked at me and then she figured it out. She's like, no, it's okay. And he's like, uh-uh, don't touch me. Yeah. And there's some kids you can't touch. That- <laughs> well, there's that too. I have an autistic kid in my yeah, congregation. I they, get it. They, don't, they can't handle it. But uh, yeah. Hmm. It's a good day if Marty lets me bless him. But but nonetheless, all I do is, again, say, the Lord bless and keep you in his baptismal promises today and forever. Yeah, right. I just I just use that as an opportunity to emphasize you're a baptized child of God, and that's why right. you're here. And you're not a, uh, like a inferior member of the body of Christ. Right, exactly. Because, exactly. Because of your... Um, your height? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> your, your puberty status. There we go. Hmm. Again, write a passage. Pagan literature, check it out. Coming back. Luther, uh, Albert Pierce continues, Luther engages in conscious polemic against both the scholastic tradition, influenced by Thomas Aquinas, which emphasizes the element that one can comprehend and which teaches that grace is bound to it to give it a supernatural function as a tool, but also goes against the tradition of Duns Scotus, which separates God's inner workings on the soul, more sharply, from the physical reception of the sacrament. We should probably break that down. Mm. Another long <laughs> sentence. Yes. So Thomas Aquinas and the tradition that followed Aquinas emphasized the elements <laughs> and what you comprehend from the elements, right? Grace is bound to the bread and wine, and that is what gives it its supernatural function, which is why you can never just pour the wine down the sink. Mm. Why? Because... Grace is attached to that fluid. That's God's grace. You can't just pour that down the sink. God's grace is in the fluid. Same thing with the wafers. They're consecrated. We can't just eat them in an unholy way, in an inveterate way. We have to put them aside in the golden box for the next time. Mm. They have a, the, the, and the, the point, like we, we would talk about like ex opere operatum, right? You don't even have to eat and drink the bread and wine. Just see it happen. Just see the consecration happen and you get the benefits. Yeah. Because it's a supernatural eating and drinking. It's a spiritual eating and drinking. And the, and the result of that was one of the reforms of um, the Lutherans was to receive yeah. both the bread and the wine. Because right. exactly. the scholastic theology said, uh, you can receive one or the other. Or, well, generally right. the bread. Exactly. But, Let's not get out of control with this, okay? You people are you people are kind of kind of scummy. Well, and the, the problem with the wine, of course, is that you know you might spill it. So it, there is that too. Slobs. So you can do a better job handling bread. That's with, right. You know, wine. Hmm. Plus, wine's expensive too. So there's that. Yeah. So so that's what. So Thomas Aquinas is saying, the element, the bread and the wine. You know, can you comprehend what's happening here? Grace is actually being bound to the bread and wine in a way that is supernatural. Whereas Don Scoda says that God's inner workings on your your soul is the thing. It's the reception of the sacrament that's the thing. So in case you never knew this, because you haven't read Aquinas or Scotus, half of what Luther says in the small catechism on the sacrament of the altar is a response to this, Mm. which is why he has one on the eating and drinking, and one on the words. Who is worthy and well-prepared? He who believes these words given and shed for you for the forgiveness of sins, because these words for you require all hearts to believe. However, to fight against Scotus, who talked about the inner workings of the soul, mm. da-da-da-da, the eating and drinking, over and against 
Aquinas, who said, well, you don't really have to eat and drink it. You just have to see it happen. Luther goes, actually, it's in the eating and drinking because it's what given for you to eat and drink. Take and eat, take and drink. That's the genius of Luther is that even though he's doing theology by way of negative, he uses yeah. it in a constructive way to instruct the children. And the fact that he condenses all of medieval theology on the sacrament down to basically two paragraphs. Yeah. He worked very hard on that, though. <laughs> you think? Yeah, that didn't come overnight. No. But that's, the again, the genius of Luther's theology, the genius of the small catechism. And this is why I say, buy Albrecht Peter's commentary on Luther's catechisms. It will open up like it's like it's like thinking rhode island is the entire universe <laughs> and then stepping outside your door and going oh my word there's an entire world out here that i didn't know existed it's like the small catechism isn't rhode island it's like a universe mm, yeah. of of information and wisdom and like you said it took luther a long time to get to this point where he could summarize thomas aquinas and duns scotus for a child right exactly or a corrective yet, really yeah, right, exactly. And that that makes sense because the theological waters that they're swimming in is exactly. going to be full of that. Right, and you're going to imbibe this. You just don't know it's from Aquinas and Scotus. Yeah. In the same way that most of us are Nietzschean, having never read Friedrich Nietzsche. Mm, right. We just, it's the waters that we swim in. It's what we breathe. It's like Francis Schaeffer talking about worldview. I mean, I don't necessarily right. like the topic, but or the, the yeah. term, but, but he has yeah. a... It's right. I mean, we swim in, in waters, and we don't even know what's polluting it. You know, who peed in the yeah. pool? But right, <laughs> right. But exactly. uh, good luck avoiding it. Yeah. You know. So the reformer inserts what is involved in the relationship with physical and material elements into a verbal and personal confrontation with Christ. <laughs> Let me repeat that. The reformer inserts what is involved in the relationship with physical and material elements, bread and wine, into a verbal and personal confrontation with Christ. You are being confronted with Jesus when you receive the body and blood, mm -hmm. the bread and wine. This is not our taking. This is Jesus confronting you with, this is the, again, like I've said before, this is the backspin of the gospel. This is my body given into death for your sin. This is my blood shed for you for the forgiveness of sin. Something happened, and now I'm going to call you to account for it. Yeah, it, it has that indicative, take and eat, for the forgiveness yes. of sins. Oh, wait. <laughs> right. I, oh, if, you have sins that need to be forgiven? Hmm. Which sins? Well, you killed me. <laughs> yeah. That would be the chirotic aspect of that. Or or Peter in uh, Pentecost, which we'll hear in a couple of weeks, or whenever you listen yeah. to this podcast, you know, what must we do to be saved? You know, be saved. You killed you your Lord. Eternal life. Well, yeah, what must we do? And right. be baptized. It's, yeah. Yeah. And that's a gift, too. It's, Right. It's, it's so simple, but it's just not easy. Mm -mm. Because even, again, faith is gift. It's not something that we have. Well, and even baptism, I mean, why water? Uh, well, it yeah. presumes that there is a, what, dirtiness or, a, you know. Right, a, a washing that's necessary, a baptismal, something, a something needs to that be needs cleansed, to that idea of cleansing. Yes, right. And, and water ritual was a big part of, of Jewish practice. Well, like of course in the it temple was. Or even probably in the Well, because it goes back to Genesis 1. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah, with the hovering cool. over the... Well, it's like I've said to people, too, is like, if you believe in a spiritual baptism versus water baptism, tell me any time in the entire Bible where there's water separated from the work of the Spirit in the matter of salvation. Or any time where baptism didn't involve water. Right, exactly. That's what I'm saying. It's like, there's nowhere in the Bible, Old Testament-wise, I'll just argue the Old Testament because that's my area. Mm -hmm. There's nowhere in the Old Testament where water and the Spirit and salvation are ever separated from each other. Going all the way back to Genesis 1, mm. if we believe what Paul says in Ephesians and other places about the word, the logos, if you believe what John says in chapter one of his gospel, mm -hmm. all the work of Genesis, like the Trinity is in Genesis one through five, the gospel is in Genesis one, one through five, 
We were chosen in Christ before the foundation of the world, so all that work is there in the water itself that is being that the creation comes out of, and then we're being recreated out of the same waters. That God never doesn't save us through the washing of of regeneration renewal in the Holy Spirit. He's always doing it. He even does it to Naaman. Yeah, that's what I was going to say with Naaman. The you know it takes a a servant to say to Naaman, "You speaking, I think on behalf of the Spirit, listen to the prophet." Right, exactly. <laughs> you know, that's God's word. Right, listen to him. Right, yeah. and Naaman has no reason whatsoever to listen to this Israelite slave girl. Nor does he have any reason to go to the prophet's house mm. and listen to what he says. He worships a completely different God. Mm. He's got a completely different theology. Mm. Called, gathered, enlightened, and, and sanctified right. by the Spirit. And he's not an Israelite. And who cares about the Israelites? We conquer them in the summer for fun. Yeah, and, as uh, the king um, bears witness, uh, what's he trying right. to do? Sending me all these gifts. He's setting me right. up. This is a setup. Yeah. This has got to be a setup. Exactly. <laughs> but like you said, calls, gathers, enlightens. Mm-hmm. There he is. He, he, God doesn't stand on ceremony. Mm. In the absence of an actual preacher, he'll just send you one. So both the offering of the gifts of grace and the presence of the cross have significance solely because of Christ's exalted presence in the present tense. Because Jesus is here, the gifts of grace and the presence of the cross matter. If Jesus isn't actually present... They don't matter unless we unless we decide they matter to us. Because, again, the subject-object relationship is that I'll decide what has value for us. I'll decide what has what is more important than other things, what matters, versus, well, no, Jesus is actually here. He's actually confronting you with his body and blood. He's actually confronting you with his word, and therefore, it matters. Mm-hmm. But I, I've had this conversation with you. We've talked about it on the air. I've talked about it at my church. When I say, read the Old Testament, God doesn't do cheap worship. Nope. And yet, especially after the invention of plastic, so many churches have plastic plants, plastic cups, plastic plate. Everything's plastic. Disposable. It's everything's disposable. And I'm, I'm trying not to do this. I'm not trying to be pejorative, and I'm not trying to make anybody angry who uses these things. What I'm asking or pointing out is, for me personally, and again, let me emphasize this, for me personally, who didn't grow up in the church, who came to faith later in life, who chose to be a Lutheran by conviction, and is pretty much a Lutheran right now because of my sacramental piety. Mm -hmm. Like, Luther's stance on the sacraments are why I'm still a Lutheran and haven't quit yet. God doesn't do cheap worship, and when we we use disposable things, it does actually create a tone that this doesn't actually matter that much to us. Because... We're just going to buy the cheapest things we can find that are quickly disposable, that we can replace easily. And I understand, like my church, we're a small church. We don't have a lot of money and resources to throw away on extravagance. However, the one thing that we don't skimp on is the wine and the wafers and everything surrounding the sacrament. Yeah, and remember, like we don't, what was it? The widow that was commended for her might that was given in the temple. Right. For the temple right, use, right? Right. It was a temple right. coin. And if you can't afford a chalice or you can't afford whatever it may be, Work with other, ask other congregations. Mm-hmm. Yeah. If they have an old chalice that they don't use anymore, like we have a backup chalice, you know. Um, we have the one that was originally bought in 1896 and then the one that I got for our 150th anniversary. Oh, nice. All I'm saying is to take a step back and ask, why are we using these disposable things when this is God Himself who is present? Well, and I think there's an, an another, well, it indicates a, a larger attitude of I mean, yeah. kind of cheapening the, the, the whole of um, the divine service. I mean, I, right. you know, 
I don't know, maybe you're in a congregation where you just, you know, you just hire a pastor each week, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, sure. You know, rather than invest in in him and in right. his um, um, ability to to uh, study God's word, you know, basically pay to have him full time, that kind of thing. Uh, yeah. But maybe also in the conduct of the service that it's like, okay, you know, like always insisting on things being done and, you know, in as quick a fashion as possible just kind of mm-hmm. strikes me as like, it just doesn't really matter to you. This is you know? the difference between the physical reality of Jesus being present for you and the idea of Jesus being present for mm. you. In the sense of, if Jesus is actually there, he's actually present, is this the way in which you want to greet him? Is this the way you want this confrontation to go down? Or is it he's actually actually present and therefore we ought to take a step back and ask ourselves, are, are these the ways in which we want to show him? We want to demonstrate to our God, our Lord, like how much he matters to us. Yeah. And, but it's not, it's not, it doesn't have to be terribly complicated. I mean, think like Mary and Martha, um, actually maybe just sit at his feet and listen to him. (laughs) Right. Exactly. You know, I mean, you don't have to busy yourself with all of the, uh, all the extra stuff that has been added to the institution that we call the church. Right. The religion, our religiosity, what must I do to be saved? Mm. You know, busying yourself about, you know, getting the potluck ready, but, uh, you know, you can worry about the potluck later uh, mm-hmm. right now it's time to listen right let the dead bury themselves mm. yeah it's another way he says it isn't it <laughs> yeah and again I'm, I'm i know i'm being provocative and i know for some of you listening this i'm making you angry but i'm 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 raising the issue and i'm forcing the issue because i do think it matters and as a pastor i've seen this and i'm speaking from experience when people come to me and they have these questions about the only, the congregation that they come from or when i fill in for a pastor or I help a congregation out who doesn't have a pastor and they're in the call process and I go and I talk with them about these things. It's it's a conversation that I like having. It's a conversation that I end up being asked a lot about by other congregations and even by members of my own church. Mm-hmm. And it's I think it's a healthy conversation because it keeps us focused on what matters versus, like you said, things that may be important to the life of the church in little c neighborly sense, but they're not the thing. They're not the reason why we the church. Right. And why we're there. And as I say, plastic worship creates plastic Christians, plastic faith. It's disposable. Mm. Disposable form. You know, if worship is disposable and the things of worship are disposable, it creates a disposable kind of faith and a disposable kind of view of God and the church and everything in general. And it has no sense of permanence. And I think that's the thing, right? That God is it has this like the coming of Jesus and the regularity of how he comes to us, the consistency of how Jesus comes to us, that consistency, again, that's the promise that creates the faith and that dependability of God that he's trustworthy for us. And he does it in this specific way. It's easy for us to get caught up in the normalness of it and go, yeah, this is just the way it, we always do this. It's just, you know, it's no big thing. Kind of routine or Vers- something like that. Right. Yeah. Versus you do realize the God of the entire universe has actually entered into this space to join us this morning and give us something that actually means we live forever. That's pretty impressive. Yeah, how does that, and so then how does that inform um, maybe our conduct of the service, how you behave yourself, yeah. what the pastor does, right. and how he acts? Right. Uh, not, right. And I think maybe the formal casual kind of dichotomy isn't always helpful, but maybe it's a little indicative here. And then. Well, I stole from uh, Pastor Whedon, Pastor Bill William Whedon, mm-hmm. I stole the term relaxed reverence. Wasn't that from Ken Corby? Maybe he stole it from I think Corby. it's Corby to Swirla to Whedon. Yeah. Yeah. Anyways, the tradition. There you go. There's a tradition. You wear, you wear um, your boots. You're at work. Yep. I wear my boots and I'm at work. And yet the things I'm handling, that's a big deal. Mm-hmm. And the things that I'm putting into your mouth, 
It's the body and blood of Jesus. That's a big deal. Yeah. <laughs> he created you. Not just in an abstract sense, but very right. very much so. It matters to, right. to you and to that person at that moment. That's why in some um, versions of, in some hymnals, it says the true body and blood of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. Because in the Reformed Church, it's not the true body and blood. It's a representation of his body and blood. It's a spiritual eating and drinking. Actually, they'll and say so, those words now. <laughs> I know they do. They updated it too. I know. It just drives there's me nuts. no way to make that distinction apart from actually right. getting into the nuts and bolts of it, right? Or just being super verbose and using every possible adjective to describe with, the actual under, under actual reality of you know, you know like, yeah we get it we get it you believe it's true but, it, but you're right I mean historically um, they would they would have a problem with the true they might say yeah. the real yeah um, but they wouldn't say the true now I've heard true too so yeah I have too that's true. So regardless, mm. that's my little jag. It's, and again, you can just be like, dismiss me. It's Pastor Riley's personal piety shining through. But pastorally speaking, and just having to be confronted with this for the last 10 years in my congregation, these are things that really matter to people. And I'm glad they do. But without the conversation and without stepping back and going, well, what did the reformers do? Mm-hmm. How did they change this, the doctrine of the sacrament? How did they change the practice of how the sacrament is delivered? And where can I find out about that? Well, you can read a lot of stuff or just read baptism and the lord's supper by albrecht peters yeah there you go and get it in 200 pages so let's keep going here we're almost to the mm-hmm. end uh so when it is instituted the lord himself is at work neither the benefits of salvation nor the saving activity itself are to be separated in any fashion from the one who is working that salvation no abstraction there no abstraction no ideas in search of meaning it's not our supper it's the lord's supper we're the object he's the subject so luther articulates this very clearly articulates this very clearly. The Son of God is present here in the baptism through his sacrificial blood, through his being offered up to death and his eternal life. He is not present merely speculatively in a metaphysical way, being clearly banished in the physical sense to a place above all the heavens, but he is not enslaved physically and materially in the element either. In a different sense, he is most powerfully present to make something happen and is closer to us than we are wont to be close to ourselves, which I think in the original version says he is closer to us than our next breath. Oh, okay. At least in the commentary on Job, he mentions that too. Maybe Psalm 18, but I think here that's like literally what it says. Could be wrong. Just taking a guess. Yeah. And I kind of riffed on this idea from Luther uh, in my Ascension Day sermon in that um, he He's more present for us in the supper than he was even for his disciples on the mountaintop. Yes, 100%. Yeah. And yet completely not present for us at the same time. Right, not visibly. This is the, not visibly. This is the chronological Cairo. It's like, how can God fill the universe? How can he be on every altar huh. in, in, you know, in, uh, at all times and yet be outside of that too? And the answer is yes. And that's what Luther's saying. Luther's saying he is definitely the God who fills the entire universe with his presence. And yet he's also the God who is physically here right now in time and space for us yeah. and the, at the same time. And that's a distinctive um, you know, Lutheran, what do yes. you want to say, doctrine? Or, or, or It really is. That, that always driving um, us to where Christ is promised to be present. Not, yes. not, to, not to the speculative presence, like under every mm-hmm. rock and tree and behind every cloud. Right. Yeah, you know. Well, maybe he's coming back on that cloud today. You know, right? And just right. why are you sitting there staring at the sky? You know, right? Well, the Jews seek signs, and the Greeks want wisdom, mm. and that's what we do. We're like, show us a sign, Lord, or give us something that we can believe in. Or trying to find Christ in the teachings of Buddha, for example. Right. You know, exactly. Like, well, okay. There's some wisdom with the Buddha, no, no doubt. Um, but, right. but that's not where he's promised to be. 
Right. And I, I don't wonder, too, because this is, what, 800-something when uh, Buddhism really mm-hmm. starts coming, right? So you have 800 years. So there is going to be a tinge of Christianity yeah. to the Buddhist teachings because Christianity made it to India. There's no doubt that there's a tinge of it, or, or maybe even more than a tinge. However, just like the Zoroastrians oh, yeah. or, or Muhammad um, in, in writing the Quran, all of these are tinged with Christianity. They're tinged with the theology of the scriptures. But it's not Christ right. alone. Right. It's Christ plus the Buddha. It's Christ plus this mysticism. Christ plus X, Y, and Z. But it's well, not. Well, and I think you, you see it more in practical and and moral matters, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. You know, like uh, what was the connection I made today? Oh, um, you know that the Christians with their head covering. You know, Paul talks about mm-hmm. that. Yeah. And yeah. and the Muslims with their head covering. Right. Right. Know? And and actually the theological motivations are somewhat similar between the two. Right, you know? exactly. Yeah. And where in the Bible does God command women to cover their heads like that? Mm. Old Testament, New Testament? Yeah, it's a cultural thing. Right. It's a cultural thing. Of course it is. Yeah. Right. Are you single? If you're single, cover your head. If you're married, you don't have to cover your head. Mm. We should Maybe do the thing with the dots on your, on your forehead, too. Right, exactly, because then we can know, right? Make it a lot easier. That's useful, right? It's like I was watching a show, and apparently in some places in the world, they wear their wedding ring on the right hand, not the left hand. I don't know. I had not really noticed that before, and I'm watching. I'm like, they all wear their wedding rings on their right hand. That's interesting, Maybe because it was the Greeks who gave it that that practice to us. Why the, why the ring think, finger on the left? I don't know. Uh, they used to think that it was connected to your heart. Oh, that blood vessel or something it connects all the way to your heart, and so that's that makes sense. Yeah. Well, they had the heart on yeah. the right side, left side. Yeah, they got right. that right. The right, correct side. Yeah. <laughs> correct, right, left. I mean, correct. Yes. <laughs> so the Son of God is present here in the baptism through his sacrificial blood through his being offered up to death in his eternal life. He is not present just speculatively, not in a again, not in a spiritual sense, metaphysical sense, being banished out of the physical universe, above all the heavens, but he is not enslaved physically and materially in the elements either. That is, we can't really say that all of God is in the bread and wine, but yet he gives all of himself to us in the bread and wine. And this is great stuff if you're really into physics and metaphysics. Right. But it can also spring your brain if you're not used to thinking this way. Well, that was one of the arguments, you know, uh, the Christians were cannibals. And, uh, yeah. and one of their yeah. responses was, well, yeah, except it's not, it's not consumed. And it never, it never is, mm-hmm. uh, runs out. And like, right. Okay, yeah, that's helpful, Wait, I guess. Right, exactly. <laughs> yeah. But, you, you, but for, you actually just agreed yeah. that we're eating body and blood. So you didn't right. really dispute the cannibalism part. Well, anyway. And really, this is a point of categories, because mm-hmm. well, we're trying to explain something that's not explainable. Mm-hmm. How do you explain a God who is pure spirit is also bound by physics because he's also a man? And he's fully God and fully man, which is different and unique than all these other religions and their, their spiritual leaders. And there are gods who come in the form of men, and there are men who claim to be gods. But in no other religion does God say... Or does the scripture say 100% God, 100% man at the same time, fully, fully? Right. Well, and that whole. Which that, is, by the way, why Jesus calls himself, is called King of Kings. There are a lot of heroic figures mm. that we can look at and be like, let's emulate that dude. But there's one who is the king over all kings. Yeah, and God of gods, too. And God of gods, exactly. And so we're not saying, well, this is an interesting thing, right? It's like we're saying, well, we'll give, we'll, we'll give credence to your gods, we'll give credence to your kings. Mm-hmm even though they're not really gods and kings. But we'll give credence to those things. And in, in your language, then, 
our God is over your gods and our king is over your king. Yeah. Be- and it, because and they're not real. And certainly at times throughout history, we see this play out where, like we talked about Cyrus, I think in some setting, mm-hmm. and you know, there yeah. he is acknowledging God as God, you know. Instead right. of or Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar is another example of that, yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah, he even, he even says as much, doesn't he? Your God mm-hmm. is above all gods. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right. He's not negating the other gods. He's not saying you have to stop worshiping these other gods. He's just like, your God's the best. Yeah. Your God's definitely the best. So if we were to acknowledge polytheism, <laughs> right? Uh, in that case, it, it wouldn't matter. God's still God overall. But it's goes. a great apologetic tool when you think about it then, mm. is that rather than just start off with, well, your God's not real, mine is, which is arrogant, first of all. Yeah, and it's presumptuous. And second of it's all, presumptuous. it's very presumptuous. But it also stops the conversation mm-hmm. versus going, well, what, what does your God do? What is your God like? Right. And then we'll talk about my God. And this is why it's super important to understand the difference between sacrificial worship and sacramental worship. Right. That you're, you have to, you, oh, I have to go up on the volcano and offer a sacrifice to the volcano, or otherwise the gods are going to like kill us with molten lava. My God would never do that. Yeah. Well, why wouldn't your God do that? Well, see, my God actually created the volcano <laughs> and the lava, and you chose to live at the base of the volcano. That's kind of your fault, not the gods. <laughs> like, that's just bad. That's just bad location. That's just a bad choice. And yet, if you die because of this volcano, my God will raise you from the dead. Will your gods do that? Well, that's what's interesting. I mentioned Elijah earlier, but that that's definitely uh, with, with the prophets. Right? The prophets yeah. are trying to make sacrifices to appease uh, Baal. And mm-hmm. Elijah's... Yeah, put water on it. It's fine. Hey, more, more yeah, water, more water, more. Right. You know, this is it's God's animal. It's God's water, and it's going to be yep. God's fire that consumes it. God's right. rocks and the whole right. deal. But it comes right. down from heaven. Exactly, it comes down. Right, and it's not, and it's not even at Elijah's command or anything like that. It's right, just, it just happens. Exactly, it's, it's really so. It ends up being gift. Uh, and then the Lord mm-hmm. gives all the prophets into Elijah's hand to kill as well. Exactly. And Elijah's like, take him down to the river and kill him. <laughs> Which is always, uh, that's always the happy conclusion of that story when we read that in Bible study. <laughs> I love reading that to And the kids. then he ordered the people to kill them and the people. And the blood filled the river. Who, yeah. Right. The people who threw the prophet under the bus to begin with are like, we'll do whatever you say now. Yeah. You got us. You got us. We see, we see how it is now. <laughs> exactly. We say, God, of God, God of gods there. Hmm. He is not present merely speculatively. He is actually present, and yet not enslaved. Well, and I was going to say, too, I mean, the problem problem is when we try to figure this out, then you end up with a whole category of thought like the scholastic tradition, right, with yeah. Aquinas, which is right. really just trying to figure God out. Can God lift, make a boulder so large you can't lift it? Yeah. How many angels hit a, can stand on the head of a pin? Maybe not Maybe not always, but, but certainly at times trying to uh, answer questions that don't have answers. Because right. they're not given in the scriptures. Well, and this is a good point, too, that you bring up, is that outside of Christ, we can know nothing of God concretely. Mm, everything's abstract, it, yeah. Everything's abstract because he's hidden, and he chooses not to be preached and revealed and worshipped over there. This is why Paul says Jesus is the full, full image of God in Colossians. Everything that we need to know about God, preached, revealed, and worshipped, is Jesus. Right, and that's the, the point that Peter's made. Both the offering of the gifts of grace and the presence of the cross have significance solely because of Christ's exalted presence. So, right. I mean, we can say nothing of, oh, I don't know, the preaching office or of the body and blood or the baptism mm-hmm. without speaking of, I mean, it has to be Christ's body and blood. It has to be his baptism. It has to be his word. Well, if it doesn't lapse into the religion of the old Adam, yeah. Yeah, otherwise it's about what we're doing. Um, for right. God or for one another, either way, right? Just it's another religion among many, right? And then again, we go from the language of instrument to language of agency, mm. rather than what is God doing through this office for you? We go, what are you doing 
for God through this office. And we love agency. We love to act on behalf of God. We don't like God acting on behalf of us, especially when, when we're told, I'm going to be using you to accomplish this. Like Jonah. Mm-hmm. God's like, hey, go preach to Nineveh and justify them. And Jonah's like, no, pick another vessel. And he's like, no, I choose you. And he's like, there's other prophets. No, you. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go with you, buddy. I like you. Which is why in the things that matter, he gives clear instruction, right? Right. Use bread, yeah, use absolutely. wine, use water, yep. use, you know, say these yep. words. Yes, um, exactly. Preach this way. <laughs> when Repentance you pray, pray for this the forgiveness way. of sins. Yeah, when you pray, right. pray this way. And the things that matter, yeah. they're, yeah. And, and then what maybe still matters, but but it, that which is what we said, what do we say? Freedom? With this in, with yeah, it's a matter of Christian freedom. Yeah. Um, we're free to reflect upon the things that do matter, um, right? Right be mindful of them and to distinguish always to to see this is the thing is that to always be in a having a conversation to always be humble Mm. to to say what i want or need is not important what we need or want isn't important what matters what is important is what the lord has said Mm -hmm. we need and what is important and that's not a conversation that you can have occasionally it has to be i think this is my opinion it has to be an ongoing conversation because Left to ourselves, we will always focus on our own agency. We will always focus on what we believe we need or want, regardless of whether the Lord commands it or not. And we will use even something like good church order as a a tool of manipulation Mm. to control each other and say, well, that's not good church order because I don't like this. Mm. Or that's not good church order because you're not doing what I want. Versus, well, what does the Lord say? Is it a matter of freedom or is it something that the Lord has commanded us to do? And if it is a matter of freedom, what are we free to do with our freedom? Mm. Well, we're free to serve our neighbor, love our neighbors ourselves, to take our neighbor, death and all, into ourselves. Versus, you can be a member of this church, you can be my friend, you can blah, 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 whatever it may be, so long as you do these things for me. Yeah. Yeah, but we don't we don't like that. We, we want no. prescription even applied to the things that, that are within freedom. Right. And then the challenge well, is freedom is terrifying. Who gets to prescribe? You know, <laughs> right? So is it the pastor? Right. Who's in charge here? The pastor, the congregation, the synod, the elders, uh, the yeah, pope, district. whoever. I, right. Yeah. Like, mm, wrong question. Shout out to Ethan Gillespie. Ethan has returned from an organ workshop. It appears. Nice. And he's getting a shout out on on the show. That's O R G A N, not O R E G A N, right? Yes, he was. Uh, he didn't go to Oregon for a workshop? He did not go to Oregon. No, that's okay. four syllables. It's an Oregon workshop. Oregon, he is a, two syllables. Is he going to go into like uh, autopsy work? Is he gonna be a, <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, this is a large thing with keys and pedals. Nice. Mm-hmm. So wrapping up this paragraph then, bringing it to a close, he, meaning Jesus, is most powerfully present to make something happen and is closer to us than we are want to be close to ourselves. This is the key point. To have that constant conversation, to be humble, is to recognize that Jesus is closer to us than we are to ourselves. Jesus understands and knows us better than we know ourselves because he's, the, he's actually the Word of God who wove us together cell by cell in our mother's womb. He knows me better. It's like when I tell my children, my children are always stunned that I can say what they're thinking. Oh, and right. I, yeah. And, I, and they're like, how do you know? Yeah, there's I'm a like, because genetic, biological bond Right, here. exactly. <laughs> well, two things, nature and nurture. One, I've done that before, uh-huh. okay? So I know exactly what you're thinking because that's the look that I've had when I've done that. And two, you're half my flesh. So therefore, whatever's happening in my brain is definitely happening in your brain. Yeah, and I'd like to believe... That, that there is that bond, that connection, 
you know, that mm-hmm. you can finish each other's sentences or whatever it is. Yeah, absolutely. Um, right. That's more than just, uh, it's more than just some kind of physical connection that we can see. Right. Or, or we can evaluate. But think about the comfort that you enjoy as a Christian, mm. a baptized child of God, in the fact that Jesus is closer, knows you better than you know yourself. He is closer to you than you are closer to yourself. Which is grace, that, mercy, peace. That's what it's meant exactly. to bring. Exactly. But on the flip side, for some, this is what keeps them out of the church, as yeah, they're right. just terrified of the idea that God actually knows who they are. And Jesus is so specific. Mm. that, And this is the key point, and I emphasize this constantly too, as a former atheist, there are lots of gods, and I researched many of them before I came to read the Bible. I found the other gods lacking mm-hmm. <laughs> and inadequate, because I really didn't feel like living a life of sacrifice and service to the gods, in the hope that eventually, maybe, kind of, sort of, after I die, I get a reward. That's yeah, kind of wasted effort, isn't it? <laughs> it? It kind of felt that way. Well, you it's really like, preferred more the Epicurean style, probably. Yeah, yeah, yeah. With, but with hopes of stoicism, <laughs> small hopes. Um, but that, nonetheless, when I when I did pick up the Bible and finally zeroed in on First John mm-hmm. and Ephesians, the and more fantastic stuff that really blew my mind, I was like, this is different because the claims that they're making about Jesus are so uniquely, literally uniquely one of a kind that. I've read these other holy books. They're not making these claims about their God or their holy men. And the thing about the Bible then is the gospels, the people Jesus chooses to carry the church forward are nothing like the other uh, disciples, apostles of these other holy people who themselves are kind of holy and and praiseworthy and and actually worthy examples of a pious, holy life. Mm -hmm. Whereas you look at the disciples, you're like, what? Yeah. They're selfish. They're idiots. They're they're idiots. They're spoiled. They'd never get the point. Even after Jesus gives them the Holy Spirit, they're still like, so we got to circumcise people to be Christians, right? And like, no, you don't. Well, but we do, right? (laughs) And you see that argument in Acts and it carries all the way forward into Galatia. So we know that they never really came to an agreement on this. Mm -mm. It's, It's so unique. The, and that's what I mean, like, to your point, when you come to the church, then the whole reason why the Christian church exists is because of Jesus, not because of our efforts to make it exist. Yeah, our efforts um, at times look to countermand. You know, I was going to say, quite, yeah. quite often, mm-hmm. quite often. Get in the way of, you might say. Right? right. And so if we're not constantly in this conversation of why are we Christians? Why does the church exist? Why do we do what we do? I, our emphasis will either quickly or inevitably turn us away from Jesus and the gifts to ourselves and what we can earn by way of reward. And you'll see this constant struggle within the con- within the congregation on a weekly basis that we, through faith, because of what the Holy Spirit does, we turn towards Christ and the gifts. And yet, because of the old Adam sinner in us, we want to turn back from the gifts and Jesus. Well, and I think I think the point, the last point that uh, Peter's makes here is that we try to keep our distance. We, yeah. we actually set up things to to, to right. try to keep a safe distance from Christ learning too much right. about us. It's like, no, well, he already knows you. I'm comfortable worshiping God. I'm comfortable worshiping God. Yeah, yeah. I'm just not comfortable with you talking about Jesus so much. Sin, death, evil. Uh, well, that's the right. That's that's the kind of the 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 holisticness of Jesus is that sin. He becomes sin that we may become the righteousness of God. He is the death of death. Like all of these words. Absent of Jesus are just things. They're just ideas. That's an abstract idea. It's an abstract idea in search of meaning. But Jesus actually puts a definition to these things and goes, yeah, that's me. 
Faith, me. Sanctification, me. Grace, me. Like, you're just talking about me. You're just using different words to describe me. Versus, well, I, I go to church to worship God, and I go to communion, and I like the pastor's sermon about grace, and the little thing at the end where he talked about us and, you know, going out and giving grace to our neighbor and sharing grace with our neighbor. See, everything I just said actually doesn't mean anything. The pagans do it just as well. Yeah. Exactly. They do it better. Well, that's they, the scandal, they, isn't it? Well, they don't pretend like they're not doing it. Yeah. So the, the church's food bank gets their food from the Chicago Food Depository, mm-hmm. which is a secular organization right. that collects all the food, and then the church just distributes it. Distributes it. Exactly. <laughs> right. Exactly. You know? So there you go. That's the danger of, of religious works looking religious hmm. rather than just vocation. I'll just pray beforehand, and that'll make it right. Right, exactly. <laughs> Sprinkle some magic. It's like praying dust on before it. a voters' meeting. Oh, let's not talk about that. Right. Yeah, that's a yeah, always... no. That's a dark, dark tunnel. <laughs> um, oh, but no, the, and the, this is the point. Then is that the specificity of Jesus, the particularliness, the locatedness of Jesus, undercuts all our attempts to worship God abstractly. Mm-hmm. And this is what I, going back to what I was talking about with plastic worship, disposable worship. When we focus on Jesus specifically, and that He's an actual, real person who is actually really God. Then you have to ask yourself, in relation to Jesus and how he relates to us, giving himself to us as both the giver and the gift, what is our response to that? Mm-hmm. Is our response, I don't really see a lot of value in this, so I don't see the problem with disposing of it and treating it like it's cheap, versus you do realize the God who created 140 billion galaxies is talking to you right now yeah, and saying, I love you. That's something. <laughs> right? It should count for something. <laughs> It, it should. Well, and that's what uh, you know. All the surveys say is that the millennials or whoever is the new mm-hmm. generation—I don't know—that's um, mm-hmm. what they're striving for. They're hoping for. They're looking for is authenticity. Mm-hmm. And what's what's yeah, more right. authentic than Jesus saying, uh, saying, "Yeah, <laughs> here right. with His Word, this is what is." Right. You know, not striving for meaning, but actually hearing this right. is what it's for, and just humbly and, receiving. And here's what's crazy: if you eat and drink His body and blood regularly, according to. Uh, the liturgy, according to the words of the church, uh, your faith will actually be strengthened and your love for each other will be increased. And if you want to talk authenticity, if you want to talk about true selfless love for your neighbor, mm-hmm. if you want to talk about true Christ-focused faith, then the Lord's Supper is the high point of the entire week. It's the high point of your entire life every week. Not because, because we import the meaning, but because... Right, exactly. Because it just does... He does what he says. Yeah, he, promises. he says what he does and he does what he says. He promises... I'll give you faith. He promises, I'll give you my love. And then he does it. And then, of course, we were like, did you see how I loved her? Wasn't that, that was awesome, wasn't it? I killed that prayer. I killed that prayer. You see how I, I brought that guy to church? I found him in the, I found him on the street today. I brought him to church. He's homeless. I crushed that right? act of mercy. I crushed that act of mercy. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, I right. think we're getting slap happy here. Yeah. Uh, let's wrap it up. Okay. I got nothing important to report. I got I got nothing to suggest. What did I, what did I tell you? Oh, I started watching and on your recommendation. Uh, Justified. Justified. Yeah. It was a show on yeah. FX. You can watch it on Amazon Prime now. Uh, yeah. I'm just starting to get into it, so not much to say about it except for uh, um, after watching it, I went I for the all morning. I talked like I lived in Kentucky. So <laughs> right, yeah. You put your you put your hand on your hip and kind of stand. So I think I should watch it before bed, and maybe the effects will wear off by morning. And I'll and there we go. That's right. Yeah, <laughs> you start telling you start telling people at church. I want you out of this church by noon, or else. <laughs> it's for those of you who never watched Justified. It's a modern western, mm-hmm. essentially. Yeah, with um, U.S. Marshals, right? And it's uh, from it's serial, but it also has it's yeah. episodic too. 
Yeah. yeah. It's from a short story called Fire in the Hole by Elmore Leonard, right. who started off his career writing Westerns for pulp fiction or pulp uh, magazines, mm-hmm. Western short stories, which you can buy in Kindle. Um, it's actually, I don't even, I didn't even like Westerns before I read this. And now it's one of my favorite collections of short stories, that and Flannery O'Connor short stories. Yeah, because the best of a Western is going to really dig deep into the like the human condition, the yeah, interpersonal yeah. relationships. If you want to know how this plays out, go out, go look up Elmore Leonard, uh, Westerns made into movies to see how many of his short stories were made into movies and TV shows. Mm-hmm. It's amazing. It's kind of like uh, Philip K. Dick for sci-fi. Yeah, it is. Mm-hmm. Well, 310 to Yuma is probably the most popular mm-hmm. example. Yeah. That's a short story. It's only like six or seven pages. Yeah, and how many versions have we had? At least two. There's the Glenn Ford, Richard Woodmark version, mm-hmm. and then there's the Russell Crowe, Christian Bale version, which is actually really good. Yeah, I thought so. I love Christian Bale. So um, He's solid. He's solid. Uh, Perfect Circle's new album. I'm still listening to it. You've recommended it uh, maybe three times already? Uh, maybe. I, I just like it because he grew up the son of a strict Baptist, and he loves his dad. And It's kind of like uh, it's kind of like Nick Cave in Bad Seeds, you know, where, yeah. where that, <laughs> he's clearly not a Christian anymore, I think. Well, maybe not so yeah. clear. But uh, but the influence, the scriptural allusions come out. Or same in Bob For Dylan, sure. You know, he has that His story. criticism of Christians comes out so strongly. That's what, yeah. Um, that's, maybe that's why yeah. I have my questions about his own faith. But yeah, but his critiques aren't Well, false. like I said, I, I often find with atheists who grew up in the church that it's not so much that they've rejected God. They just rejected the theology in the church they grew up in, and they've confused that with God. Yeah, and what, what that church called theology was probably right. And then you surround yourself with... Practicum, right? Well, I was yeah, exactly. And you surround yourself with other people who reinforce your prejudices, and it becomes easier and easier to dismiss it as not valid. It's not even worth it considering anymore. Yeah, it's kind of like that lack of critical reading of, uh, right? You know, the Passover account <laughs> that we talked about. Right, exactly. Like- I started watching Rain on Netflix. Mm, yeah, um, it's really good because it's not a zombie apocalypse show. It's Danish, first of all, which, again, I love because then they don't screw it up like Americans do with these types of shows. And they're patient, right? And they're storytelling. Very patient. They, they Again, the first episode is like a two-hour movie. It's only like 50 minutes. You, like, you feel like you've watched an entire season of a TV show by the end of the first episode. Oh, not so not um, exceedingly, you know, deliberate, but, but uh, you know. Just dense. Like, really dense. And the writing's really slick. There's, there's a whole... Like there's a lot of points where there's no communication, mm-hmm. there's no words, there's no soundtrack, um, and I'm not going to ruin it because the first episode obviously kind of lays like, it out. Like, yeah, lays it out. It's just, and I use it. It's a, I like it. It's it's really well written, really well acted, but it also goes to show, in the absence of any sort of faith in a higher power, a god, shows like Rain, shows like The Walking Dead, they show that in the end we become very nihilistic, very fatalistic about the future mm. because. There is no hope. No. And and even like a show like Black Mirror, which is kind of the opposite direction, where it's kind of looking at technology five, ten years down the road, it's very fatalistic. It's very nihilistic. It's pretty pessimistic about uh, the prospects yeah. of technology. Cynical, I guess. Cynical, maybe Cynical is a better way to say it. Yeah. Yeah. Those things, these that, things, mm, are they really improving our life? Or maybe we should double think it. You know? Right. And the characters that show up in these shows who do believe in God, because of course it's God, even if they're Christians, they mm. believe in God. They don't really talk about Jesus. Generic God. They're, yeah. Right. They, the way they talk is very sappy, pappy, kind of pablum, platitudes, cliches. You know, it's it's God's will, or we just can't know, it's a mystery, or we just have to have faith. Oh, it's that sovereignty the, thing. Yeah, it's always agency. It's always a question of agency. And they always make sure that the Christian is like, just dumb, or just deluded. 
and not or or something but never it's never about jesus it's never like they ask a theologian to come in and consult in a way that makes the the character substantive so that you have a counterpoint to all these other arguments you're never going to see a show like rain where by the fifth episode the pastor's convinced everybody that jesus is really god and everyone comes to become gets to be baptized like that would happen here in the states but yeah somehow and then they screwed up the pastor would be like the villain or somehow <laughs> Yeah, it's all. He's I always, to start I always a cult. love the ones. It's all the generic God talk, but they happen to be in a Roman church, so then they'll right. they'll show this dramatic picture of a crucifix on the wall. Of course, and, but never say any words or say why that should even matter to us. Right? But exactly. Somehow, <laughs> this guy hanging on, on right, crosses exactly. makes has something to do with the story. Right? Exactly. You see that in The Walking Dead a lot. Yeah, I think it's the important. It's that idea of postmodern idea of you import yeah. your own meeting into this story, right? And we'll exactly. give you icons exactly. to help you kind of you know, see it as a Christian allegory, but we're not right. going to actually... You want to see where this plays out the the most, like, drastically is in Japanese anime. Oh, I thought you were going to say Last Jedi, but anyway. No, please don't go there. Don't ever speak of that again to me. <laughs> it's The longer I think about it, the more I dislike that movie. Um, But in Japanese anime, they use Christian symbolism constantly, like, throughout, mm. and yet it has no real connection <laughs> with Christianity. Shout out to Eric Brown. Um because I know he's going to text me when I when I make this conversation, but um, that in Japanese anime, there's crosses all over the place. There's blood. Um, <laughs> the Last Jedi and postmodernism. Thank you, Pastor Gillespie, for signing me that. And um, yet, like I said, it has no connection with Christianity. But they'll show churches. They'll have crucifixes. They'll have Jesus. Even they'll have crucifixes that scare away vampires or they'll have mm-hmm. the daggers and guns that are in the shape of crosses because that's what kills demons and they'll have holy water and they'll have all these things they'll be a priest right but no connection with actual christian theology whatsoever it's just those are really strong symbols and they're universal symbols and therefore you can load meaning into them mm-hmm. and people can, and again it helps sell a story quickly without having to go into a lot of oh, um, yeah. excursus and exposition yeah like you said, I don't have to explain the cross. I can just throw it up there on the screen and people will draw their own conclusions. Mm-hmm. It's about sacrifice, you know, and then done. So that's the thing is when we talk about the Lord's Supper, maybe even come back and, and do another section of this uh, in the following podcast, just because there's so much there. Yeah, there might be something fun um, in the next section. Yeah, but um, dive more into baptism. Sure. But this is the conversation that this is kind of the reason this podcast exists is to read these books, again, as Lutheran as it gets. And ask the question, are we as Lutheran as we can be? And not in a generic, well, I'm Lutheran, so therefore everything we do is Lutheran sense. Um, And recognizing that definitions of Lutheranism are fluid, Mm -hmm. they change generationally. But to ask the question, what did the Reformers actually teach about the Lord's Supper? And are we actually teaching what the Reformers taught? Or when we read the small catechism, for example, are we teaching it the way that Luther intended it to be taught in regards to the sacrament of the altar? Or are we kind of in the present tense saying, well, I think this is what he would have wanted me to teach. Yeah. So the title of the of the podcast is, yes, it's meant to be provocative, um, but it is also begging that question, what does it mean you know, to be as Lutheran yeah, as it gets, right? Because right? Right. Dr. Sazi and his own generation declared, we are not Reformation Lutherans. Mm-mm. We're Lutheran, whatever that means, according to our definition in the present tense, but we are definitely not Reformation Lutherans. Right. And we, you see this when you read even Nietzsche and Feuerbach. They grew up Lutherans. Mm-hmm. Lutheran pastors' kids, and they would even argue, when I read the Reformation Lutheran stuff and then I read the Lutheranism of my own day, we're not Lutheran. Like, this isn't the same thing. These are two different things. Now, that doesn't mean that's always 100% tr- you know, right that the, Re- the Reformation Lutheran stuff is better than the stuff that we have today or whatever it may be. But again, if we don't have the conversation, how do we ever know? Right. 
Yeah. So we, you know, we've looked at Walter. Um, yeah. But we might look at somebody like Grabow, you know? Oh, for sure. Or, for sure. Or Wilhelm Leo, which we haven't done yet either. But. Yeah, Leia. Um, Arndt. I like to look at Johan Arndt. So, yeah, go check out Justified. It's a good show. Go check out Rain if you want to. Go check out Perfect Circle. And uh, go check out Avengers of Infinity War. I enjoyed it. Did you enjoy it? I did enjoy it. I did really enjoy it. I enjoyed it for, and I can't spoil the ending, but I enjoyed it because that's the kind of ending that I like. Yeah. Mm, uh, it is postmodern. Uh, it's also yeah. film noir, you know? It is. Maybe. And apparently Gwyneth Paltrow gave away a secret about the next movie without realizing it. Oops. It might take place 10 years after this one. Oh, I figure it was going to be a, a span of time. Well, she said that her, she said like, pe- she was talking about Pepper Potts. Mm-hmm. She said Pepper and Tony have a kid and they, they're trying to move on. And you're like, wait, what? And then she's like, oops, you know, that kind of thing. Oops. So that would be interesting though, if they actually jumped forward, even five well, years. Well, you know, time's involved. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. But it really puts a re- monkey wrench in all the other Marvel movies that are coming before Avengers 4. I know. Well, and who was it? Uh... Was it, who's the guy that's in charge of the franchise? Feige? Yeah. He was saying he he regretted doing all of the movie announcements through 2019. Yeah, right. Because it, then it gives all, you can presume all sorts of things from that. Right. You know, which yeah. characters are going to appear when and all that kind of stuff. Right. Captain Marvel's right. going to show up between and, yeah. and then mm-hmm. will somehow come into play. Right. You know, with Avengers 4. Well, Spider-Man 2 comes out before Avengers 4. Yeah that'll be interesting mm, yeah. uh guardians of the galaxy 3 comes out before avengers 4 yes so although russo did confirm that gamora is inside the soul stone oh and there is a possibility that everything that happens after the soul stone isn't even real hmm. he he hinted at the fact that maybe everything that takes place is actually the soul stone showing thanos what is going to be the consequence of his decision that would make sense. Yeah. Hmm. Which is very interesting then because that means that somehow, again, it's not real. And yet, because it's happening to him, he makes it real. And so you come off the other side of that. You know, I like the fact that they drop those little nuggets for us to chew on because as fans, then they're like, this will keep them coming back. Yeah, because you have a relationship of all the stones. Right, exactly. Mm-hmm. So he'll say something that's 100% true. Oh, by the way, he also, you know, the the Galaga guy on the uh, S.H.I.E.L.D. ship? Did you hear this one too? Mm. So in Avengers 1, Tony calls out a guy for playing Galaga on the ship. So Russo goes, yeah, he he uh, he's dead. <laughs> and he died right as he was about to uh, get the high score in Galaga. <laughs> Just to be a jerk. <laughs> he's like, he died. <laughs> he, was, he, yeah, he was taken from his, yeah. your, your yeah. uh, what you call it, uh, you should probably put a spoiler on this Millennium for those who haven't seen it. About. Anyway, there we go. Thank you. All right. Uh, let's wrap it up. Thank you for listening, as always. Come back next week for another exciting, provocative, we don't mean to insult you, <laughs> podcast. You are all our friends. We're all our friends. And we're just having a conversation. We're thinking out loud. So go ahead and give us uh, five stars on iTunes. Give us a positive rating. Uh, send a link to your friends, family, and everyone you know to promote it. Go buy Gillespie's Coffee. And uh, that's it, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. All right. Hope we pass the audition. See ya.
like what you're listening to? Higher Things podcasts are free for you, but they aren't free to produce. Please consider supporting the Higher Things podcasts, as Lutheran as it gets, Gospeled Boldly, and The Black Cloister. Check out www.higherthings.org support for more information. Thank you for listening, and thank you for your support. You summoned me, Dr. Frankenstein? Indeed I did, Igor. I wanted to tell you that I'm retiring from the business of monster creation to do something that requires even more genius. What's that, Doctor? Coffee roasting, Igor. There are so many wonderfully complex variables to busy my intellect with. Try the end product, Igor. It's brilliant. And delicious. Not bad, Doctor. But have you considered just ordering your coffee pre-roasted? Preposterous, Igor. No one else has the scientific attention to detail that this enterprise requires. What about coffee by Gillespie? Coffee by Gillespie? Christopher Gillespie is a master at selecting high-quality specialty coffee beans that are as sustainable as they are tasty. And to roast them to their finest, he uses traditional techniques combined with the latest technology. Something a scientist like you should appreciate, Doctor. Indeed, indeed. But the coffee, Igor, is it any good? Everything about coffee by Gillespie is done with taste in mind. Gillespie even ships your coffee directly to your address so it doesn't lose its delectable flavor sitting on the store shelf. You've convinced me, Igor. Coffee by Gillespie clearly has me beat for coffee know-how. Where may I get some? Just go online to gillespie.coffee and order any time. Let it be done, Igor. But opt for the decaf. Frankie can be a handful when he's had too much caffeine. Coffee by Gillespie. It's brilliant and delicious.